You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It's so nice to uh, see all of you. I am your host this evening. We will be uh, talking about what everybody else is talking about, which is uh, the COVID-19 and the virus that has hit us all and the economy and the various arguments. There's a lot of different arguments out there and not a lot of them make sense. We're going to try and talk through some of this stuff and see uh, see what makes sense. So uh, with that, we'll be right back in just one moment. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. All right, welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. It is so nice to see uh, many of you. We are live on all, all the streaming services. We found this cool program called StreamYard, and we're on YouTube and Facebook Live and Periscope. And uh, thanks for everybody that's watching online. And you can comment in real time on one of those platforms. We'll see it. So hoping to make this a little more interactive. Very cool program. Thank you to new podcast with some of my coworkers called Doc Heads, D-O-C Heads. And uh, they talk about documentaries, so go check that out. They're the ones who turned me on to this. Um, so uh, I'm going to introduce everybody. We're going to thank the Patreons, Patreon members, and then we're going to get started. I am uh, in a bad mood. And uh, Harry Price, how are you doing? I'm going good. You know. What happens when I'm in a bad mood? Well, uh, generally speaking, um, you like to, how can I put this, get all frizzle-frazzle. And you can't go to Chick-fil-A. Man, how are you going to get out of this bad mood? Um, I'm, it's going to be quite the show. I'm, I'm, I just watched the uh, update, and Reinhold got a little bit of it. I go, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Reinhold's with us. How are you, Reinhold? I'm doing well, um, having a good time, just trying to get by. <laughs> you may scoot up a little bit. There's a lot of white noise in the background of your mic. Uh, and then All also right. is Hody Johns. Hody, how are you? 
I am doing better than everybody else here, I can pretty much guarantee it, because I went from being unemployed with no money to being unemployed, probably getting paid more than I would have made had I been working. So uh, I just get I get a month off paid vacation. I feel like an officer that just killed a black kid. I am just oh making <laughs> way too much money. Oh, this thing has like a little unified jet, too. Cool. OK. Yeah. <laughs> Um, sorry, my ADD just kicked in. I was like, oh, look at all these comments. So if you comment, it's all right there. That's great. Uh, let me thank our Patreon members. We've had a great month on Patreon. You guys have been so awesome. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've lost a little bit of side gig money and my main job's okay. We're good for now. And, uh, you guys have stepped up in a big way, including our own Reinhold, who has stepped up from 25 to a hundred dollars a month. So we want to thank him. And we want to thank all of our $100 a month Patreon members, Matthew Durbin, Christy Avery, Jeff Bennett, Jason Doolittle, Ed Brehob, Craig DaCosta, and Anthony Meyer. You guys are so awesome, and we're really uh, glad that you're sticking with us. We've been trying to do our best, and we've been trying to get a lot of good information out there. That's what we're going to do tonight. There is a lot going on out in the world of... Um, coronavirus and COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 and all the different ways that you can say this. SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. COVID-19 is the disease that you get when you are infected with it. Uh, so that's just one clarification. But the disease that people get is COVID-19. Uh, and there is... Uh, should we start with... Let me, let me pull the group. Because we could start with reality... Or we could start with the the libertarian argument that kind of has been going on behind the scenes because there's there's a lot going on that uh, there's plenty of reasons we we know where to blame the shutdown and the economic crisis for the most part at this point obviously the pandemic first and foremost but we have some uh, clear negligence by the FDA CDC President Trump. And start there. We can start with uh, the arguments about shutdowns, or we can start with theoretical world. Where, where do you guys want to start? What do you want to get into right off off the bat here? Can, can we not go in, into libertarian pool? All right, let's do that last then. Uh, yeah, so, good, good, that's right. disgusting. That makes me want to hang out. You know, I've been hanging out with my socialist friends. So I was like, oh god, oh, I'm gonna go over here with the socialists. We're gonna get to it because <laughs> I think there is just a, a ton of arguments out there that are just not. Um, but so the New York Times wrote an amazing article that every single American needs to read, and it is called The Lost Month, How a Failure to Test Blinded the U.S. to COVID-19. And the reality is this is a pandemic. And so no government, be it a free government like ours or as free as there may be on the planet or a free economy like Singapore or Hong Kong or south korea or a closed economy like north korea or china is immune to really suffering the effects of this so there isn't any government that is going to handle any of this perfectly but the american government seems to have handled this about like italy and it is very clear why if you're paying attention i'm just going to be honest with you anybody that's listened to this show for a long period of time knows that i try to be fair to all sides and especially Donald Trump because Donald Trump doesn't get a fair rap in the media and the media is fundamentally dishonest but Donald Trump is the government Donald Trump is the president 
And there seems to be a tremendous amount of people that don't have that in mind when they're talking about how much they hate the government, but they love Donald Trump. And if I, I literally heard Ben Shapiro this week make the argument that, well, nobody could have foreseen this, but Barack Obama didn't foresee this and he didn't make enough ventilators. So that's, you know, just how it is. And I go, Donald Trump has been president for three years. This virus has been in existence since November, late November. What the fuck does Barack Obama have to do with it? Uh, there, there are things that Donald Trump, that, that Barack Obama does bear some responsibility for, like all past presidents and all Americans. Most of us didn't take any of this seriously until Joe Rogan did a podcast on it. Let's be honest. <laughs> and that's around the time that the president started taking it seriously and corporations and everybody else started taking it seriously. We had, according to this article in the New York Times a call from the Chinese head of the CDC to our head of the CDC on New Year's Day, and the Chinese CDC director was crying on the phone with him about how bad this was. China had lost trillions of dollars shutting down their economy, and they didn't just do that because uh, it's the swine flu. Like, this obviously was something that was a lot more aggressive than other, uh, uh, other diseases. Uh, and here we are. The numbers as of today are continuing to rise here in Indiana, where we're at. It's doubling every single day. Um, as of the recording of this, March 31st on 2020, I'm trying to get to the, the Johns Hopkins dashboard to give some stats, because I think if you're listening far in the future, then you'll go, wow, <laughs> they really were at the beginning of it. Um, right now, there are 42,000 deaths across the world. There are... Uh, New York City alone has 932 deaths. Uh, they're half of our cases. Uh, the uh, total cases are 855,000. This thing has completely spread exponentially. There is a chart that you can see the entire um, models that we saw a few weeks ago are lessening thanks to a lot of the efforts that everyone around the world is making and trying to stay away from each other. But it's obviously still spreading, and it's obviously something that is uh, still aggressive. Um, trying to look at how many have died here in America. I don't see it. That's odd. Um, if, if you don't believe that, like, I don't know about you guys, but I've talked to people all week. And, and the people who thought that this was a hoax a month ago, and, like, not for nothing, I made fun of San Francisco a month ago when they declared a state of emergency and they didn't even have a case yet. Right. Like I, I thought that this was all BS too. Um, it wasn't until it wasn't until Italy. Cause it's like, all right, the Chinese are doing that, but it's like China, right? We don't trust them. You know, we have no reason to trust China. Uh, America at this point has had 3,800 deaths. Um, and, and then when Italy shut down all of their, they shut everything down. I went, Oh, maybe I ought to pay attention to this. Uh, and then that Joe Rogan podcast hit and I was like, oh, I think this may be a thing. Uh, so like, I'm not immune to the whole I didn't take this seriously until like three weeks ago train either. But what you have seen in that time and the growth has just been exponential. Um, I don't know how I can still be talking to people. And they don't believe that this is real. I mean, are you guys running into that, or am I just running into a special brand of stupid out there? I'm definitely seeing it out there. People who are saying, you know, trying to 
um, explain all of these reasons why this is just like the flu. The flu is going to be just as uh, just as uh, bad as this. You know, it's it's like no, you're not you're not paying attention to what's really going on. You're just trying to you you have an end goal. You want this to be the truth, and you're trying to make everything fit around it, um, just like a lot of conspiracy theories do. But um, I, I'm not sure what the what. You know, how, how you can continue going on and seeing the news every day. And even the president has finally come on the, and said, this is a serious thing. So I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't, you know, reverberated through the Yeah, community. because I'm not running into people and I'm making a lot of arguments trying to get people to realize that like the, the FDA, the CDC, yeah, there were going to be deaths and there was a lot that this is going to be an overwhelming event, no matter what the federal government does, but we didn't have to be Italy. And it looks like we're going to be Italy. That's basically what they said in the press conference today. Our own government said we're going to be Italy. It didn't have to be that way. Uh, and so when we finish this, because there will be uh, an attempt to take away liberties, take away freedoms. And it's I think we're missing the point kind of on the shutdown stuff because it's affecting us personally. It's going to be in the we need to take over hospitals. We need to take over the medical system. We need to take over this. It'll be at high levels. It won't be they're not going to take away restaurants from you. Like no government tries to take away the the things that bring you joy in life because you don't want them they don't want you to overthrow them. Um but I I think where I've come down on it is that some people I'm an experiential person. I learn experientially. And if I don't sense something, if I don't see something, if I don't touch something, if I don't have a person that I know that has had that experience, mm-hmm. it is difficult for me to conceptualize what is going on. Like it's just sort of, and and that's where I think some of the problems that why people are having connect uh, connecting the dots here are that they're not see they don't really know anybody yet. They're just now starting to see somebody who may have been infected. We've we've let math nerds and stats run the conversation, and so people like me have a very hard time conceptualizing that. I need to see it. I need to touch it. I need to experience it. And I think that I'm not an uncommon way of thinking, and I think that maybe a lot of the people that I talk to, the Trump people, the libertarians who are more right-leaning, conservatives, they seem to be the ones that argue with me the most about this. And it's gone from this is a hoax, the numbers aren't real, to now um, we need to get the economy going again. And I, and I wonder how much of it is that they just don't have the ability to visualize it. They're not seeing it. They don't know anybody. They're not touching it. I mean, am I, it, it, is that what maybe it might be? I think that's totally it because I I am with you in this. I actually got the swine flu back when that was going around, and it was a miserable week, week and a half. I worked the entire time. I was working at Applebee's at the time. My manager knew, everybody knew, and it was just kind of like, all right, well, you know, just take it easy, and if you need to sit down for a bit, you can sit down for a bit. But I, you know, everybody, you weren't regarded as some murderer for showing up. You know, you're like, it's it's the swine flu. It it, it has a very low kill rate. As long as you're clean, it's very hard to carry. And so I think we relate this to our past experiences. And we say, well, that was even me, and I got the swine flu. You, you now, were if early you're, on, you were one of the people I have had swine flu. Yeah. This is, you guys are overreacting, right? Right. And, and, and I think we say, and, and some people didn't even get any of this bird flu, swine flu, H1N1, all this other stuff, and just say, you know what? 
they told me to free. Everybody always tells you to overreact to something. And so I think the normal reaction, Chris, I know you had it. I know I had it too, is when you hear, Hey, something, some kind of new disease is going on. You're like, Oh, this crap again. It's just garbage. It's never anything. They always tell me it's something. And then you find out crazy infectious 2% kill rate, over the entire planet, you'll probably get it at some point, and you just have to hope that they have medicines and ventilators for you. And you're like, oh, okay, so this might be a little different than the swine flu. Right. Um, let me play this. Be- let me, for the flu people out there who still kind of go, this is the flu, let me play this video. <laughs> Harry, were you going to talk? Did I cut you off? No, I was just still <clears throat> laughing because, like, yeah, you still, you keep hearing that. Like, it's just the flu. It's just cold. I think I had it in January. Right. And listen, it's uh, I, I I did not do the shows late last week because I wasn't feeling well, <laughs> you know, and if I had it, then it was a, it was very mild, um, but I couldn't get a test. And so I have no idea. Uh, but, it, you know, I had a sore throat and some swollen lymph nodes that could be anything that could be allergies. So um, but the fact that I couldn't get a test is why it's such a problem. And Professor Hugh Montgomery on channel four in on the BBC explains why. Oops, hold on. Sorry, guys. Uh, you know, I, I should have prepared this. I should have been prepared. We were rolling. This conversation's going so well. And then I just ruined it because that is classic wall. Classic wall. Are you, can we least confirm that you're hitting record at least? I, yes, I've hit record. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Normal flu, if I get that... I'm going to infect, on average, about 1.3, 1.4 people, okay, if there was such a division. Yeah. And if those 1.3, 1.4 people gave it to the next lot, that's the second time it gets passed on. By the time that's happened 10 times, I've been responsible for about 14, 1, 4 cases of flu. This coronavirus is very, very infectious, so every person passes it to three. Now, that doesn't sound like much of a difference, but if each of those three passes it to three, and that happens at ten layers, I have been responsible for infecting 59,000 people. Now... I actually wasn't on top of that maths okay. <laughs> when you were doing that. Okay, that, that did come as a shock, yeah. Right. Now, most people are going to feel a bit pokey, or not very pokey, and be just fine, but they will have spread, a, spread it around. And a few will get sick at about day 10 of their illness. So they will need to come to a hospital. And when they're in a hospital, they will consume resources and time and people will look after them quite rightly. And they will be monitored to see if they become really, really sick. Those people then come to an intensive care unit. And that's where, if you're critically ill, your life gets saved or not. And this is the issue. If we've got a limited resource, which we have, a limited number of ventilators, a limited number of doctors, a limited number of nurses, which is fine because we can't run ourselves with a huge excess capacity all the time. If we overwhelm that, we can't provide that service of caring for these people properly. This isn't the end of the world, is it? No, we've got to remember that this is... I'm not not going to play it down. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be horrible for a large number of people, but it will be a small number of people who get properly sick and a smaller percentage of those, again, that need to come to an intensive care unit. And we can save the lives of a large number of those people too. But please, just remember that the best chance we can give for the people who do fall ill is if we've got enough beds and enough staff and enough kit to be able to be there for you. And if you are irresponsible enough to think that you don't mind if you get the flu, remember, it's not about you. 
It's about everybody else. And I think that is the thing that I'm seeing from a lot of people is that they don't really care. That I may just get the... They really don't care if other people get sick. And that's what I guess I'm having the hardest time with is that I'm talking to very intelligent people and they understand that, yeah, 100,000 people may die. I just don't care. <laughs> and I don't understand where that mentality necessarily comes from. They And then they throw the economy back at me as if... And listen, there's lots of people involved in We Are Libertarians and in my circles that have lost income or their jobs or they're on unemployment. But it's easy to recover a job. It's hard to recover a dead person. Like, it just is. Like, I... I uh, you know, and people keep calling it the tyranny of the, the, what, what did I see today? It was some article. It was like the tyranny of the, the vulnerable or whatever, as if millions and millions of Americans don't meet the definition for vulnerable, the people with diabetes that they don't know about or obesity or high blood pressure that they don't know about or asthma or very simple things. And it, like half of the people in ICU in New York City are are under fifty. They're not the the elderly. This is not necessarily playing out like just some sort of elderly disease where people in nursing homes are going to get it, and that's it. Uh, and so I guess I don't understand the argument that it's just the economy. We need to get the economy going. We need to go back to work tomorrow because the virality rate of this is well proven. The, the it, Just look at every other country. There's a lot of information out there if you're willing to look at it. And what happens when and if the worst case scenario of 2 million in the Imperial College study happens, or just the best case scenario, as Dr. Fauci seems to be saying, which I still think is too high. I, I don't I don't think that we're going to have 100,000 deaths. I hope that I'm I hope that I'm, you know, right. And he's wrong. And I'm, you know, he's. He's just I, I hope that he's just big government trying to scare us into submission, you know, because I don't want 100,000 Americans to die. But what happens when you have millions of people get sick in a one to two month period? And they and 12 percent of that has that population has to go to the hospital and needs an ICU bed. And a large portion of them die, a greater number of them die because there wasn't enough ventilators. Is there not going to be economic impact for millions of people being ill all at once? Is there not going to be economic impact for 100,000 Americans dying in a two to three month period? Like that's not going to raise insurance costs and debt. That's not going to lower productivity because of grief an illness that's not going to create a, a hardship or unemployment because people come to work sick because they can't they don't get paid time off and so then they get fired because they brought a liability to the company like i i i you know i saw the uh the mises institute write an article uh today called in the shutdown and I commented with some of these questions because I genuinely want to know the answers to my questions because I think that we have we have distilled it down to the lowest IQ arguments that we possibly can instead of looking at the different layers of this, you know, and they write basically that a lot of stuff that we all agree with, which is the government shouldn't be mandating shutdowns. The government shouldn't be telling people what to do. 
Um, and they just in one line gloss over it and say, well, a lot of the models are wrong. How can we trust this? You're putting a lot of uh, faith in a lot of people being wrong. Tens of thousands of medical professionals are saying the same exact thing across the globe, and you can see it happening over three months of data. But we're just going to go, well, the media lies, so maybe they're wrong. You know, but then the economic scare comes in at the end. We're still will grocery stores and gas stations remain open and stocked if the shutdown continues? Will crime spike? Will the American social fabric already thin from politics tear apart? You know, the Mises Institute in, in this makes a lot of good points, but they never deal with the very real fact that we're dealing with a pandemic and that there are economic falls out from everybody going back to work in two days. Or, or never having come back in the first place. Like, so I don't quite get the cute argument of it's just the we need to get back to work because I don't care. You can think that this isn't real all you want. Biology has a completely different opinion than what our government thinks, my governor, what Hody Reinhold Harrier, I think. Biology's, win, biology's in control here. And there are some ways to mitigate the biological fallout and the timelines while we build capacity to bring people back to work sooner. But you can't just say this isn't real. And I think it's because people haven't chosen to have their lives stopped. People choose to retire. People choose to take vacation. They make that choice, that conscious choice. And so when something or someone tells them they can't continue that line, they get very upset at it because they're not in control of it. It's like, this sucks for everybody else too. Okay, just because you can't control it, you're going to make the rest of us miserable because you don't you want to believe in fairy tales like it, it, it. It's not even, you know, like I was always one of those people. Oh, the climate science is come on. Oh, the hockey stick. Al Gore's such a, you know, and then you start to see the ice caps start melting and you go, mm, maybe I ought to look into this, <laughs> you know, and, and this is one of those things where it was like, I thought this was bullshit, too. But at a certain point. When you watch 60 Minutes and you see the hospitals overrun in New York, yeah, and I know CBS got caught using B-roll from Italy, but that doesn't change the fact that that's actual real footage on CNN or 60 Minutes or any one of these news channels. You know, my mom is a nurse. You know, I, I, I have friends that are nurses here locally in Indianapolis. The hospitals are full. It's here. And it's happening. It's not pretend. And so to come up with some bullshit reasoning that it's pretend is flat earther dumb bullshit and it makes you look retarded excuse me makes you look very stupid i thank you thank you thank you Uh, mentally handicapped slow forest forest gump is what i'm going for yeah i i really i I don't get it I, i think it's just because people didn't choose they're not in control and they they are mad that their life is being interrupted which everybody else is too. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people out of work that don't want to be out of work. Yep. So, uh, so help me because I'm, I'm getting, you know, even the president at this point, the internet boomer of internet boomers is going, yeah, this is real. We're going to, we got to, I'm doing great though. A plus. <laughs> he literally so he's doing he's better. Doing, he said, no, he, that was, that was he the, literally couldn't have done anything different. He's done everything literally, great. Literally. Everything perfect. Perfect. 
Perfect. Well, I, so so for me, the big issue is that there's a fit. Uh, I got a lot to say, but I think I can condense it down to about 60 seconds here. Uh, I think the best answer for the you're balancing economy and liberty, right? Uh, life and liberty. And those are two very di- difficult things to balance. You never want to have to choose between one or the other. I, I, the I, thing is, is you've got one people, your hoaxers on one end that say, let's do nothing. Let's completely end the shutdown. Let's, you know, whatever. And then you got everybody on the other hand that says, um, I mean, what? This is the other thing I see a lot on Facebook, Chris. You talk about the hoaxers. The if you leave your house, you should get shot. You should, yeah, you know, you should you should be killed for leaving your home, right? Yeah. And these are the two low IQ answers, like you said. The high IQ answer is looking at the right model because there actually is an acceptable amount for it to get out for our hospitals to be able to handle it, and for the economy to still exist, and for you know, a, a normal amount, right? Like, like a natural thing that happens. This is where economies, economists actually need to earn their bread and butter, right? Because they have these models, these complex calculus equations that say, hey, if we let it get out at X rate, that's too low a rate. If we keep everybody in their homes, the virus is still going to be out and around. We might prevent a lot of people getting infected for longer, but we'll have to put the economy on complete lockdown for five years. And, and obviously, a lot of people will die and commit suicide and all that. On the other hand, you say, hey, if we let everybody out of their house and just say, hey, spring break and go crazy and let's get it over with, you're looking at millions of people dying, literally millions of people dying, right? And then you say, okay, well, so what's the best answer? Well, it's somewhere in between, but people don't want that. They want the two extremes. They're used to abortion debates. You said this earlier, Chris, and I love it. It's just like having an abortion debate, either black, black, white, either all these people crazy or all these people crazy. And there's nothing in the middle. And economics is a lot about that middle ground. You, you, you brought up, let me, and let me introduce my scenario because I think it's the foundational part of this. And I think it'll clarify it because you brought up Liberty. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And this is the thing that I see libertarians getting mixed up and they they keep trying to push me into he's a statist when in reality i would feel the exact same way if there was no government you should stay home you know and so the the reality is there was a uh, a pastor that held church and he got arrested and as egregious as i find this human being to be liberty is lost on the egregious people it's why the ACLU defended the Skokie, Illinois Nazis, because the people who are doing the most egregious things are where liberty starts to be eaten away at. OK, mm-hmm. um, but there isn't a person. This is a debate that we've been having over and over in our group. And it's there isn't anybody on this show or in our group that is for using force to make people do something. That's not the conversation that I want to have that I think libertarians ought to be having because we agree on it fundamentally. Like prohibition fails every single time and individuals need the ability to make the best decisions for themselves. And like the reality is that in a free society, we would have had tests a lot earlier. The federal government says there's 500,000 tests available 
to ship and they have no idea how to get it out to the states because the states are, are have centralized testing and they're not using the new labs it's just mind-boggling that we have let these people be in charge of our health if a hundred thousand americans die because of the fda and the cdc centralizing control we should we should i'm going to check myself <laughs> but we should not give them more power let me put it that way um but that's not what I'm trying to say, that's not the, the reality is that I'm not saying that you you point a gun at somebody and make them stay in their house. Sweden has kind of proven the point that everybody is acting in a rational, responsible way there. And so there hasn't been need for government crackdown. Meanwhile, my Facebook group in the We Are Libertarians Facebook group, they're going, I'm only going to act the right way because the government is making me. If I didn't have the government pointing a gun at my head, I wouldn't act the right way. And I just go, like, then you're proving the point that government is necessary. Like, why are you, why are you, you need to be a rational actor. Uh, And so there, there is nobody here on this show or in We Are Libertarians that agrees with government force. It, it, the current economic downturn, the shutdowns, the bailouts, all of that is very bad. We will, we will talk more about that. But in a totally voluntary society, that, like this is one of those questions that we've argued around tables for years. Like, what happens in a pandemic? How would that operate? And so, so I want to set up the scenario a little bit because I think once you, once you kind of remove force and take the question of liberty out of it, then I think the question becomes a lot clearer for people and what is the right way to act. Um, and so I posted the, the scenario in the Facebook group, We Are Libertarians. It's called W-A-L Nuts, Walnuts. And you can find it at wearelibertarians.com and join it. And I want your comments. I want you guys to talk about this. Uh, so as you hear this, you know, kind of go and, and, and debate it. Um, so let's say that the science is precise and everybody agrees like all right there's the the in a, in a free society there wouldn't be a cdc collecting numbers it would be it would be um a, a private organization led by somebody like johns hopkins who leads the numbers and realistically everybody's going off of, of, of private hospitals numbers right now on john hopkins and in the debate we're going to talk about traditional tactics that are used there are just time tested 500 year old ways to control a pandemic if you go and watch uh, watch documentaries or read books about the 1918 flu or the Black Death, uh, they all do the, some of the same things like social distancing, which is keeping six feet apart, quarantining, sanitizing. That came about in our time, not necessarily in the seventh in the 1300s. Um, and you have to assume that in a free society, the media is going to be a lot worse than it is. It's going to be a lot more choice, a lot more angles being covered instead of just the traditional blue and red. And so the scenario that I've set up is that the pandemic is spreading across the world at a, at a, an alarming rate, just like we said, everything is exactly the same. There's no immunity in the population. It's a highly lethal respiratory illness. It doesn't have any, um, unlike the flu or the cold virus, there, there's immunity there. Uh, you know, why? Well, th- isn't this like heart disease? No. Heart, heart attacks and the numbers of heart attacks were very predictable animals. And so hospitals usually operate about 85% of capacity. And, and it's usually with the predictable stuff. They know to ramp up when it's cold and flu season, and they know they need to ramp down when it's this and that. And so 
Um, you know, 70 pop, 70% of the population will likely be infected over time. 12% of those will need hospitalization. And are you going to do that 70% in two months? Or are you going to do it over six months or, or a year? Like we're debating now. So despite the free States, which I call the American, the scenario, Having the largest bed capacity in the world due to prosperity, it is now the biggest population within a geographical area on Earth because of the prosperity. Hospitals are prepared, but the large population means hospitals running at 80% capacity now face massive rushes of patients pushing them to 500% capacity in a two-month span. Because just because your population goes up or down, it, the numbers stay pretty much the same across the board. That's Those are real numbers. All the numbers that I put into the scenario are real numbers that you can check. Uh, most hospitals are about 85 to 100% capacity most of the time. This is pushing them upwards of 500% in places like Italy and New York and Seattle. So... Um, so we'll talk about how uh, a society organized through voluntary markets handles the crisis in a minute. But the wrinkle is that there are two groups of people. And this is the two groups of libertarians that I've kind of uh, identified. The first group believes the most significant medical association. While there are different models, the evidence is clear from other geographical areas what effect the virus has on the human animal. They follow the guidelines outlined by medical experts and epidemiologists. About 60% of the population begins closing down their businesses, churches, and starts a self-quarantine. They accept the idea that continuing the community spreads the communicable disease. So to blunt the spike in cases, they sacrifice economically to protect the health of themselves and family. The second group is more suspicious. They're the Hodes of the world. They're, this is the fourth infectious disease in 20 years, and the media has panicked over all of them. And the death rate isn't much more than the seasonal flu. Both of those things are true. The markets have fallen. Supply chains are overstressed due to panic buying and businesses shutting down. This overreaction has now caused mass unemployment. This 40% of the population is currently being affected by the shutdowns from the other part of the community. Then a new wrinkle forms. Group A starts to become angry at Group B for not limiting gatherings and closing down businesses. They argue that this makes the spread of the disease worse. With the realities of infectious diseases... They say that the bad actors not sheltering in place are violating the non-aggression principle of the healthy. While vulnerable people make the responsible decision to shelter in place, they live with essential employees. They have food and packages delivered. And up to one-fourth of the economy meet the criteria of vulnerable. Group A argues that forcing millions into quarantine, combined with the externalities of thousands to millions dying, will carry a similar cost than a one- to two-month shutdown. Group B argues that the shutdown has become its own public health crisis due to unemployment and the economy must continue to function. So that's the choice here. So in a free society, it's not a question of liberty because there isn't somebody forcing somebody else to do something. If Hody goes out and goes to a bar that's crowded and continues to run his restaurant and makes the choice for himself, Hody has a very real chance of spreading the disease at a faster rate that might cause spikes, which means the local hospital won't have the capacity to care for the other three of us. And that puts that means that the three of us might live if we did a one to two month shutdown and space this out. One of the three of us might die if Hody continues on his behavior. And I think that's the question that libertarians 
don't have clear because we all agree with you, Mises Institute, that using the government to force people to shut down has made the problem worse, picked winners and losers, and so the people with the best lobbyists get to stay open, and the people with no lobbyists have to shut down. It's applied unfairly, unevenly, and it's and it's inappropriate. But the problem in a free society is this is a communicable disease. And so the argument that individuals should make rational choices still carries economic consequences to a very large degree because many people fit the definition of vulnerable, including every single one of the four of us, except for Harry, because black people can't get it. But... <laughs> well, kind of already had the cure months ago, sorry. Right. So, so I think... I wanted to kind of raise that question because how does a free society deal with a pandemic? Because that question of, are you a bad actor? If you are still going to work will remain, I will kill. I will keep saying that you can keep believing it's not real, but your choice affects me because you are helping to decrease the capacity in hospitals and you have a greater chance of spreading it to me. So, it's a very complicated question with no good answer. What do you guys think? All right. Uh, with the... Um, all right. So if you need the government to tell you to do something, you, you're absolutely correct. Uh, those are the people that try to, you know, give the response. Like, well, that's why there is the government. Me, I share, I reshared a Facebook post that I, I you know, listened to Nick Gillespie. I've shared for a while ago was, I do not need a law to tell me to wear my seatbelt. I wear my seatbelt because I don't want to be a neat torpe- torpedo going out my windshield because I had an accident. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, just the only state in the free states is New Hampshire uh, that you can don't have to wear your seatbelt by law, but tons of people wear it. They just wear it. Okay. Put your things, you know, people put their seatbelts on, right? One, just for them and two, you know, they launch and they can hurt somebody else. Okay. So we've, you know, so libertarians are right on the edge of the fact that I don't need a law to tell me to do something that's safe. You know, I don't need a law to tell me don't drink and drive. Drinking and driving is dumb and is dangerous. So I'm not going to do it. I don't need a law to tell me to do that. Yes, tons of other people do it. Yeah. And we, and so those people need to be punished for it. But you see the heavy handed enough what happens with that. And, and that will translate to this as well. If you just, do what is right the status among us won't try to use the heavy hand but you keep doing these things this is what the status are going to do now they are uh, the you are correct the government picking essential uh, workers versus not essential workers and then you are taking your uh, how good is your lawyer and how good can you lobby to get your business classified as an essential business somehow mine is I we're still open I'm still printing it's great it's I'm fun um, but I understand that I'm living in a bubble, so I try to keep the whole six foot rule. Um, even my boss, she, she's at the point that she doesn't like that all of the entire IT staff is sitting in a room and that one of us needs to go. You know, even though we're not getting close to anyone else, when we, you know, it's just one person in the room, one person in the office, and one person walking on the floor and telling everyone to back off. Yeah, I know the unemployment claims are high, and there are a lot of people that have lost their jobs, but there's also a lot of people that are working. And there are a lot of people who are working. The other factor in this scenario, but also in our current situation, is that there are a lot of people who are working who don't want to be working. 
And so it's, even if the government had never put in any, any kind of shutdown, there are a lot of people like, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to work. I'm fortunate. I'm a white-collar worker. I can work from home. I sit right here most of the day working. But there are Amazon employees who are trying to strike, Whole Foods employees, Instacart employees in New York City who are going, I don't want to be at work because I don't feel it's safe. And so because they're working, uh, they have two choices, right? Voluntary employment. They can quit or they can get fired. Mm-hmm. So that just adds to the unemployment problem. So if you still would have had unemployment, you still would have had people being unproductive at home. You still mm-hmm. would have had people dropping out of the workforce. When you drop two million people out of your workforce in a two to three month span, all of a sudden you've lost a lot of institutional knowledge at those companies and a lot of trained employees. So there's a, an enormous drop there. So it isn't as simple as saying we need to get back to work tomorrow because there's a lot of factors that were always going to come in. And so what if, and I know this is crazy, but what if everybody staying at home, no law or law, but let's say everybody shut down their businesses voluntarily for a month, a month and a half, what if that was the cheapest solution? And this just all really fucking sucks for everybody. Like, did anybody ever think of that? Like, it's not a matter of, I think there's just a lot of people who are mad that they're in the situation they're in and they can't control it, but that's everybody. It's just some of us aren't bitching about it constantly <laughs> so like you're saying like if we all just just take you know take the, take the month pause take the siesta and it and it really and what what is happening is a beautiful thing because private industry is bailing this country out mm-hmm. the the healthcare system the truck drivers the labs the pharmaceutical com- pharmaceutical companies the there is a lot of goodwill going on in this country right now between each other there's a lot of commu- a community spirit community pride peaceful cooperation there is a lot good happening to solve this problem you've got dyson the vacuum people and tesla Elon Musk thought this was a joke, and he's building ventilators and buying ventilators from China and giving them away. Ford and GM, and everybody's building capacity and and, and printing 3,000 of the hydrochloronic drug, and we need to get PPE here, and how can we... Everybody's focused, singularly focused on solving the capacity issue. And so if everybody stays home and we have a month delay, then... You, you build capacity and ever, we're much more able to handle it because if everybody's out driving around and I'm getting in car accidents, the, I, I think the, the way to look at the, the economic impact of this is like a hurricane. And there was a great article that I'll put in the show notes uh, from the Wall Street Journal where the guy basically said, we're in the middle of a hurricane. People don't open their businesses in a hurricane and try to conduct a business because it's dangerous and it's liable to get their employees hurt and get them sued. And so in in uh, what was the big one in Houston, 81% of commerce just stopped in Houston for a period of about a month and a half. And then everybody just got back to work and life went on as normal. And there's a lot to this that if the Fed and the president and Congress don't do too much to help, that that would apply here too. And so where everybody, there's a lot of people hoarding cash a lot of the people who are on unemployment were fired and let go. The reason that if you're listening to this, you were let go because the Congress passed a paid time off law. And they said, if you were, if you were laid off because of COVID-19, your employer has to pay your payroll, 60% of your payroll. And so small businesses said, if I do that, I will not have a business to return to. So I'm letting everybody go and they're going on to unemployment insurance. 
And so that is why a lot of people got laid off. But the second that revenue starts coming back in and everybody's out buying and everybody's out shopping and everybody's out going to restaurants again, people are going to get rehired. So a lot of the economy will just restart in a period of a month and a half as long as Congress, the president and the Fed don't make too much of a mess of this. And so everybody is really worried about the worst case scenario in the economy and the worst case scenario in the health issues of this. And the reality is that the combined increasing capacity is going to get us about May 1st, early May. Everybody's going to start getting back to work and the economy is going to come back online and everybody doesn't need to freak out and stop trying to scare everybody because they don't need to. It's, it's pissing me off, Harry. You've hit the nail on the head right there. That's why we're seeing the unemployment numbers. It's that um, it's the headcount. Um, my boss came to me and talked about like help, trying to help and find uh, cost savings, right? Right. And I was showing him all these different things, but he was concerned with headcount. Right. Headcount. That's it. Headcount. Why? And that's why the pause. That's why the pause won't work because everyone is understanding that since that log had passed. No one's willing to stop working because if they're willing, they're wanting to uh, stop headcount, I'm going to keep the guy who risked life and limb, basically, <laughs> to come into work versus the guy who decided to stay at home. Cool. Awesome. I got to reduce headcount anyways. All, who left? Who's not there? Right. You know, I'm not saying that what my business did, but they're like, we've got to like, what can we do? Because, uh, you know, granted, he wanted my also my figures for the other things like where are we wasting money? You know, and. I had to show him the awful fact that I've been battling with the other department because for some reason, five directors bought five different Dropbox accounts, but that's different. Have we really gone 50 minutes and haven't had Reinhold talk? I know. And don't stop it. It's magical. It's (laughs) magical. Don't, don't, don't do anything. It's magical. Okay. All right. No, I'm just, I know you've got a lot to get out and I'm just letting, I'm pent up. I'm pent up. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to talk either because what I, I'm going to say is kind of counter to all this. So I'm just going to. Well, let Reinhold talk and then, <laughs> Wait, you, then, right, you, go ahead. then you can be the asshole. I, I don't know if I want to be the a-hole. Go ahead, Reinhold. So, so let me let me kind of throw some other things out there. One, there is a problem in the libertarian community that there are libertarians who believe in, you know, the non-aggression principle and libertarianism and everything else. Then there are those who are of the mind that, um, I want to be left alone and I don't care about anybody else. Right. So the, the, the hard individualists who don't understand that they're part of a society and we all have to kind of work together. Um, those people do exist. And they're the ones that are more falling for this than the, than the other groups who understand that this is something that we kind of have to tackle together. And the only way libertarian libertarianism can work is if people kind of act together in a certain way, uh, to keep functional. So we don't need government to come and tell us what to do. Um, The other thing was that uh, the models that we're seeing. um, So right now, the models that are being put out there by Dr. Fauci are saying between a hundred thousand and 250,000. I said, but those are just the models as of today. And, And they were the models as of three days ago. And as of five days ago, they change every day as more numbers come in. Those, those models become better defined. We have better information and we start seeing things. Um, but one thing he mentioned that a lot of people are missing out on, and he's, re- he's repeated it several times, is that by, by them giving this information and showing how bad it can get, he's hoping to 
convince enough people to go along with the program so that we can mitigate those numbers and get those numbers down. Right. So he says the low end right now is a hundred thousand. But if we start doing the things that we need to do, the sheltering in place, the fight, the six feet and all that stuff, we can see those numbers drop. And we have been seeing those numbers in the models dropping. So he's saying that he's affecting those models by getting out and giving this information. Cause as you're more informed, you're better able to handle anything like this that that's kind of my my thought on some of it is like that i hear that hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand and like i'm telling you i printed off some of my and i'm going to put a ton of links in the show notes because i want you to see where what our work i want you to see what we're doing i want you to read i want you to understand what's going on the best way to not fall for all of this left right black and white binary choice stuff is to understand every gray aspect to this picture right i'm talking i'm reading like the, i'm obsessed with this and i have been for three weeks they can tell you like my friend came over earlier and she's like i, I gotta watch something else i can't i can't do this and so i turned on a show about pompeii and she just started <laughs> laughing she just goes you've got to be kidding me i go titanic <laughs> so, I think, I think uh, you might have been looking for Vanderpump Rules or something like right. that. Right. So we turned on Duff versus uh, the, the Ace of Cakes dude. So, uh, but anyways, the that's my thought, Reinhold. Is that that number seems high, suspiciously? I know when the government's trying to scare me into behaving, and that's what that smells right. like. So it it's not necessarily that they're trying to scare you into behaving. It's more of if we don't do something, these are the numbers that are going to happen. But we are right. doing things. That number is dropping now because we are listening to this and we are reacting. So I think it's more a case of being completely honest with where we are at a curtain slice in time. But there are people who are trying to say, well, they've changed the numbers over the past month. So now it's all, you know, it's all fake and they're making it up as they go. And it's not how it's working. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I don't think people understand that, that the science – isn't necessarily, oh, this is the drug we know, or the, the virus, we know exactly how it works. We've looked at it in the lab. We can see what it does. Therefore, we know it's going to affect X men and number of people. That's not how this works. They, they're still trying to learn this thing. Um, so they're going by these models. And like I said, as more information comes in, you can better hone those models. Yeah, and better as, as, as more people stay home. As more people keep mm-hmm. distance from each other, as new treatments come on, as new vents get built, as new bed capacity comes online, you start to see that that flattening of the curve that everybody's looking for. The numbers start to change. They get better. And so this thing ends early May instead of late May, which is really mm-hmm. what everybody in politics of every level of every government of industry of every company and every individual in this country is trying to do is to end this as soon as possible so we can all get out and get back to our regular lives. That's what's happening. That's why the models are changing. And at the same time, the sooner that happens, the better the economy will be on the other end. As long as they don't help. If we can convince them not to help. Or not help too much. Yeah. So So you remember they were saying uh, a month ago, they were looking at models that were showing 2 million people dead, right? So, they acted. We've done some things that have mitigated that. We've we've kind of isolated some of the areas. They were talking today about how Washington D.C., which is one of the first places that really started getting hit because of the, the nursing home and everything there, uh, haven't seen the spike that New York has or or Louisiana has because they acted quickly 
And they enacted those rules very, very fast before the rest of the country even started thinking about it. And they've been able to keep that number. It's still rising, but it's rising at a much lower rate than what's happening in some other Com- places. Compared so. to New Orleans, which held Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're yeah. a hot spot. So, like, this is predictable, and the behavior of the disease is predictable, and that's why we're doing the things that we're doing. The other thing that I would say about the economy is that things are, like, people spend 40% of their food budget at restaurants. And so you go to the store, and it's still empty because behaviors have changed. People haven't stopped eating less. Trust me. But uh, but the but, the so, thing is is the the, but, the the supermarkets are getting stocked again. Yeah, I went into right. the supermarket this weekend and there's bread and eggs and milk and all the stuff that we couldn't get uh, a week before because the hoarding has the initial rust of hoarding happened. Everybody else just kind of went about their normal business. So they go into the store now. There's not such a run that the supply chain's able to handle it. Well, my point is is that money is not stopping necessarily. You're mm-hmm. just going to see money and profits pop up in new different places. And, so, and some sectors are going to see a hit. Yeah. So, I mean, I work in one. I know Hody works in one. Like our, our sectors, the radio, the entertainment, the restaurant industries, those are going to be hard, hit really hard. And there's going to be, uh, because thanks to the Fed, the mortgage industry is going to be hit hard too, unfortunately. And, and so there are going to be hard hit sectors, but like if you're rolling in craft dough right now, or I mean, I wish I had money in SpaghettiO stocks and uh, Starburst jelly bean stocks because I've made them, I've bought their employees a, a Rolls Royce. All right, Hody, uh, look at the toilet paper that, that Harry's hoarded. And toilet paper's down, you okay? No one cares anymore. I can't even flex with toilet paper. <laughs> All right, Hody, you, you were going to take us off in a different direction. Well, not in a different direction. I just I, I need to push back on some of this because what it says is, oh, you know, you people do not care about the elderly, do not care about the compromised immune system, do not care about the over the spike. And I'm over here like, well, don't you care about people that won't have checks for – I mean, what, even right now they're like, they'll come in in, I don't know, three, four weeks. Okay. So am I good without money for three, four weeks? Is that is that cool? I got like lines of credit for that and everything. I mean, this is the problem when government does anything is they just choose who to shoot, right? Mm-hmm. And right now they're just like, oh, we'll shoot you guys so that you guys can live, right? They're not good at balancing anything. There's no, they either overreact or underreact or don't react. The only way normal reaction happens is with us. And so for me, the issue that I have is there's a lot of people saying, well, what about these people? What about the hospitals? What about the elderly? Man, I get all that. I know this isn't a hoax. I love those guys. I want to take care of them. I have done work. I have done personal work helping those people. That's how much I get it because I react as a person when I see that. At the same time, they're all too happy to shoot me and I feel like there's not enough media coverage. I I think the reason why people like me get sucked into that Mises Institute stuff of just end it now is because they say, well, I'm done with this. I'm done with being thrown under the bus and being attacked and being saying like, oh, I really cared about these guys, but you young kids, no, F you guys, man, you guys will be fine. I don't care about your divorces or your suicides or your can't live to the next paycheck. You should have planned better. You should have done better. Well, you know what? You could have been stockpiling this whole time. 
There's no re. I mean, you're old, right? You had a whole lifetime to stock up on rice and beans. Yeah, and but whatnot. Hody, it doesn't just affect old people. Like that's just a myth. It's like Harry running around holding holding the family reunion because he wrongfully believes that it doesn't affect right. black people. Like, but we it, need to look at death rate everybody. percentages and be honest with ourselves, right? And so when we say what well, what is most likely to kill you, if all of a sudden you're suddenly concerned about that point one percent chance that I'm a millennial that dies of this thing, then you kind of get thrown into the crazy bucket for me. And you say, okay, well, you know what? Maybe I'm, you know, then, then yeah, you're right. But then it's less than, like you said, you even said it, the seasonal flu. Then all of a sudden we're comparing to that, right? <laughs> and then, and we don't expect any reaction for the seasonal flu. You get sick, you stay home. You know, they aren't, they aren't taking a list of everybody you've ever had contact with or anything like that. Look, here's the thing. We talk about the non-aggression principle. It's opened up at this point. They have chosen to aggress against me. And I get it. The people who went to on spring break and everything made really bad decisions. But using the government to shut that kind of thing down is unfortunate and something we should not do. Now, we should pick our battles. I'm not going to be like big on defending but the let guys me just say, spring like, break. That, that's where people like yourself carve out the false choice and make it look like the three of us are saying that, you know, we're for government. Like, that's not what we're saying. In a free society or in the current society – you shouldn't have your restaurant open and there's going to be economic pain for those class of people anyways. So it makes you, it makes you the spring break beach people. And I want to say something as a millennial, it wasn't millennials on that beach in that video. It was Gen Z. And secondly, if you talk to anybody who works in retail or anybody that's gone to the grocery or anybody that's been out in the last two weeks, it's 70 year old baby boomers who are out there quoting Tucker Carlson saying this isn't, you know, like, give me a break. Like, the people who are flaunting this are the most vulnerable because they don't believe that it's real because they watch Fox News and listen to the president. But the the point, Hody, is, you know, and Josh says on Facebook, I agree with Hody, physical health is not the only concern in this. Nobody's saying that you're wrong. Everybody agrees with you. This whole program has been about the gray area within all of this and that it's not a false binary choice. It isn't black or white. But you are saying the solution is to shut me down for a month and a half, yeah? I'm saying, why would you open your restaurant? Right, so we shut down for a month and a half, yeah? Yeah, why would you open your restaurant? Nobody's going to be going to your restaurant in the first place. That is not true. We had a lot of boomers. I took pictures of them and I sent them in the group chat, man. (laughs) I absolutely did. It's not true. Now, here's the thing. But this is kind of my entire point is this personal accountability aspect is now lost. Because what I say is I have the capacity to stay here at home. Right. I'm lucky because I'm Mormon and we've been asked to have a two years food supply in our house and I have it and I can stay home. Right. And so and so I've been prepared. And then and then you're asking me to change my life to suffer a lot because I'm not of somebody asking else. You, I'm saying I'm saying, why wouldn't you want to? Why would you? Why, why, would, why would I? I, I I'm saying like. What it, it, it isn't a matter of personal, just personal responsibility, because sure. your choice to go to the restaurant as a patron or to work at the restaurant does carry consequences for the people that live in your household, yes. the people that come into contact with those people. Yes. It, it, it has consequences beyond just your own choice. It isn't just a matter of, uh, I have an, AK, an AR-15 and the personal responsibility to this deadly weapon is that I behave with it properly and I don't fire it at will. Like that's, 
That's a different conversation. This is a communicable yep. disease right. that is a f- complete fluke once out of 100-year history. Like, I'm asking why I get the financial concern, but when you see the consequences of small gatherings impacted on the people that you love, why would you want to go to a restaurant or why would you want to go to work? But this is why we get divided into our two corners, right? Like we're boxers fighting against each other. I just finished explaining earlier in the program that there is an economic model that says here's a reasonable amount of spread that's not keep everybody in their homes and that's not let everybody do what they want, right? So there should be some action. I think the best action you can take is that personal action. And yeah, if people don't like that I work at a restaurant, don't go. If you don't like that I work at a restaurant – don't shake hands with me for a few months here. You know what I mean? Like, don't hang out with me. I'm not going to, violating the nap is if I come up and lick you, right? Like, but if I'm just existing in public, I mean, you, I could always have any disease. I mean, in a buffet, I'm not the one touching the tongs. It's the guests. You have to trust every single guest doesn't have a cold, doesn't have the flu, doesn't have this. That's always a risk. And right now I get, it's a different beast. I totally understand. That's why I'm, that's why I think balance and nuances in this is so important to say, I understand this is not a hoax. I understand the elevated death rate. I understand the elevated level of contagiousness. And it's important to me to convey that to you because I'm not one of those crazy tinfoil hat wearing guys. But at the same time, you can't just say you get to suffer and that's my decision because your decision would affect me. No, you can always hamster ball yourself and live in your little hamster ball and have all your food and stay in there at home. That's your choice. If you choose to live in a way where you spend your money on other things other than food storage, that's your that's your choice. And then you've accepted this is a potential consequence. An epidemic sometimes happens. And if that happens, I need to be ready to be infected or I have all my food in my house and I'm ready to lock myself up for a month. Well, Jay, That's all I'm Jay says 100% isolation forever should be 100% effective. Let the, nobody, nobody, nobody with even a modicum of a brain is saying that people are going to be isolated for more than probably the next month. There are people like the Virginia governor who were saying mid June. Those people are irresponsible. Like, hold on, yeah. Remember that whole awful cars theory that the movie Cars that they're actually human beings inside the movie Cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the, they put that tinfoil hat on, <laughs> and that's how that's why they're all cars because there's some viruses outside their cars, so they stay inside their cars. What are you talking about? You've never seen this crazy, like, uh, uh, awful thread of the movie car- from the movie Cars? No. That the people, all right, inside the movie Cars, you see the cars, that people, there are actually people inside the cars. Mm-hmm. And then they stay inside the cars because there's viruses and disgusting things everywhere. So, Hody. They melded uh, into <laughs> the car over time. <laughs> Back to me. All right. So, I, I see your point, and I And I appreciate your point because the again back to the draconian nature of the government shutdown is why do golf courses need to be shut down why do parks need to be shut down here's if, something that a lot of people hold on let me finish my point and then reinhold you go the the reality is like i like the takeout option i like now the reality is sales here in indianapolis restaurants is still down 80 percent like there are a lot of restaurants who just were never they probably weren't going to make any recession. A lot of the businesses that are going to go out of business over the next six months weren't recession-proof to begin with, regardless of the recession. And restaurants are notoriously not recession-proof. Um, but uh, the, the reality is that there has been too much of a heavy-handed, because you're right, 
while I would not choose to go sit in a restaurant, I certainly have been through the drive-thru. And when you go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, they hand you the little wipe, which is also why I would like to say, this isn't China. Everybody stop overreacting. Like, I don't know about the f- other, Hody, I know you've, like, you're not working. Has anybody else's life really changed all that drastically other than being somewhat bored? Like, I still can go to the, I'm still eating the same foods. I'm still doing the same stuff. I'm still doing my show. If this were, if this were mainly, if this were China and this was some sort of martial law authoritarian government, we wouldn't be on the internet right now screeching about the, the government and how much it sucks and almost calling for an overthrow of the government because of the CDC. I think it's only one in five when unemployed, right? I, 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 right my point is that it isn't martial law, Hody. It isn't that this is a, a, a total government takeover and we, we reduce our credibility when we act that for some reason that we're being welded into our houses, you know, like saying that we're going to be forever permanently shut down because the reality is, why do you think that the Fed is in charge of unemployment? They were put in charge of unemployment after the 60s decade to keep civil unrest at bay because they're not going to take away restaurants forever. They want Hody back to work because that keeps you and I occupied. They don't want you and I having our breads and circuses taken away. Liberty is going to be eaten around the edges. They're going to do to healthcare what they did to travel after 9-11. And we still are mad at TSA because that's government touching us, right? But we still kind of accept it. But it's all very kind of esoteric, and it's hard to imagine. Permanent shutdowns of people being forced into their homes and restaurants and bars and and, and businesses being shut down, that is not going to happen. And so when people say that that's going to last for a long time, I get the civil liberties violation of it now, but it's not a permanent state. And so if anybody tries to tell you that's a permanent state, they don't understand what the ruling elites really understand, which is everybody needs to be distracted, entertained and working and employed or else everything gets really bad. Uh, And that's partially why they're trying to, to do it. So Hody, I mean, I'm, 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 I know that it's probably coming across as insensitive, but I, I get what you're saying. Like the reality is that there was going to be pain here no matter what for everybody. Yeah. Well, there's, and, and let me, let me throw you an olive branch here. The government, the government did shut us down for a little bit. Golden Corral actually voluntarily decided to stay out. We actually able, as of today, we're able to go back. Uh, the governor deferred it to the counties and the county said we could be open and Golden Corral is elected to stay closed. And this is why I think this is an important realization because it happened with the cruise ships too, right? Mm-hmm. When you say, well, we're going to get a lot of people sick and we don't need that reputation of making people sick. I'm still the guy that thinks you got to slap a warning label on some cigarettes if they're going to kill you just because you're selling a product that kills people, right? You need to understand that you just say, eh, it's just like eating anything. Well, no, it's not, right? And so we understand that there's some things that you do have a responsibility when you sell it. Now you could just make it general and say, hey, anytime you eat here, you always wave all your rights to live ever, right? But those aren't going to be popular restaurants. We want to be a popular restaurant. So the smart thing to do is going to say like, hey, if you eat these things, they could be bad for you. You know, we put calories on them and that type of thing. So I do believe in business responsibility. We're exercising some responsibility right now. You're correct. It's not a great idea for Golden Corral to be open right now. That being said, I like it being Golden Corral's decision. I don't like it being the government's decision. I have a huge issue with it. You talk about, hey, you know, government uh, governments aren't going to keep aren't going to keep restaurants shut down for a month and a half, right? You 
Totally right, right? This isn't martial law. Stop saying that if you're using those terms. But we are going to lose some kind of liberty. You've already talked about it. That we can only postulate. You can't imagine in 9-11, after 9-11, <laughs> hey, you're going to kill 500,000 Iraqi civilians overseas. You know, you just don't imagine it. And so right now, I don't know what we're going to give up, but we are going to give up something because it's a crisis and we have a government and they never let a good crisis go to waste. And so I'm vigilant when they are, have the ability and flex the ability to shut down your church and your home and your business I am very, very resistant to it. I don't care if it's the right decision. It's not their decision to make, and that's my big issue. All right. I think everybody would agree with that. Even Reinhold, would you agree? For the most part, but I think there's some things that are, are kind of getting missed in this too. And I talked a little bit about this with Hody on, I think, Thursday or Wednesday. I can't remember when. Uh, but a lot of the reasons why – so we don't have any mechanisms in place right now for a, a body who is trusted to say – this is dangerous. You need to close your businesses, right? To give out the information and then have them act on that information. We really don't have an, uh, uh, anything in place for that because we just rely on government to do it. So that's why government does this shutdown of businesses. They're not saying, you know, they're not sending armed guards over to make sure every single business is closed. I mean, there's been what three, three stories I've seen about somebody getting a citation or arrested for, uh, being open when they shouldn't have been. That's you see, in, in the UK, there was a live a rebroadcast on Facebook of a comedy show, and they sent the cops over there, and then somebody answered, there's nobody there because it was a live broadcast on a Facebook page. It was just, the, UK, the UK is much worse when it comes to civil liberties. I don't think the United States is seeing it. Well, the reason, a lot of reasons why they do this, though, is they have to put this advisory out and make this statement that, we are we are telling people to be closed so that the insurances that the businesses have that protect them for when something like this happens, when they voluntarily shut down, kick in. So there has to be some sort of body or organization or official statement for that to kick in. Now, if we had the CDC operating as a completely unpolitical, non-government entity, they probably wouldn't be screwing up as bad as they did. And they might have the... Um, trust of the people at that point for if when they would come out and say, we need you all to kind of stay down, you know, except for emergency stay, you know, shut down your businesses. A lot of people would voluntarily do that. The insurances would be tied to that. They would kick in. All that stuff would still happen. It wouldn't be coming from government. The problem is, is we don't have that. So in this situation happened, this is just the the only kind of way that I think people thought this could work. Right. So I, I don't see it as this big government over, overreach or overtake. It's a failure that government is doing this stuff to begin with, right? So we need to take the time to build better institution and better ways of doing these things for the next time. And start to ignore them. Yeah, I think market markets will take care of it no matter what. Like the, the reality is the businesses that I work with, the, the people that I work with, everybody's staying home already. And that's a voluntary choice. Government has not been involved in it. And and something like a restaurant, the takeout solution is a good solution. It's giving some employees some hours, even though it's not enough. That's for sure. But at the same time, like the reality is if you if you own a business, if you own a retail store or a restaurant, you you have to carry the payroll and you have to carry the inventory and you have to pay pay the mortgage and the insurance and the property and all the different taxes that you have to pay. 
So if you're open, you have to carry all those costs. But if you shut down, then you give yourself a longer window. Uh, so you essentially, like in the case of Golden Corral, for instance, if they stay open, they still have to pay paychecks to the people that are working, right? And it's probably not going to have enough consumer base in there spending money to even justify the electrical bill. Literally, the electrical bill, the water, the sanitation, let alone the payroll, which is the most expensive part. You've got to keep all that inventory on hand. And so then you're spoiling, you're going above. And like Hody, you know, working in restaurants, there's there's spoilage rates, like right? So you have a predictable amount of food that you buy every single week because you have a predictable consumer base. Nobody has any clue what your consumer base will be for the next month and a half. So if you're Golden Corral, it's not only is it a good PR stunt, it also is probably just more predictable to go, I'm just going to suck for the next month and a half so I can open up because I won't have spoiled all this food, lost all this money, made all this payroll. I mean, and so the reality is a lot of businesses, that's a big part of why they're closing and staying closed until they can reopen mm-hmm. it, it, because they just, there's no customers. There's nobody spending money in retail stores right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean to reinforce your point, and this is something that people don't think about very often. Every chain in the United States, every restaurant that's considered a chain, the mom and pop star stores, we don't have all the information on them, but the highest grossing one still grossed less than 10% in profits. Mm. So that that's the highest. So the majority of them, in fact, uh, if you think about like the fast food, McDonald's, Wendy's, all that, they're looking at like one to 2%. The fast foods that are real busy are the ones that are actually cutting that real slight profit. And Golden Corral is about that same thing, two, 3%. So as soon as we get something, we're even, you know, and I know I showed us being busy at the restaurant. But as soon as our business drops even 5%, it dropped at least 5%, we're losing money. Right. Just, just on average, right? That's just, that's the way the restaurant world works. I've, I've worked in restaurant managed like most of my life, most of my adult. What's the, what's the yeah. failure rate for, for uh, restaurants to begin with? I mean, in normal good times, the failure yeah. rate's like 90%. Yeah. 90%. Go out. First two years. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah. is it is it a very transitory workforce then? Like you you just expect like oh, I'm not going to work for the next month and then well there will be some place that'll hire me if you work in the restaurant industry. Yeah, Always. yeah. Uh, I mean, I I I've worked at one mom and pop store. It was a really great experience. I did work there for two years. The Prairie Schooner Steakhouse in Ogden, Utah. Amazing people. The business owner there right now is doing everything she can to generate as much charity business as she can gave away all her stock. She just posted on Facebook today. She's actually shopping and making rounds for anything you can donate for guests that are kind of regulars there that she's managed to get a hold of. Mm. And this is kind of her tactic to trying to stay alive because this is something else to think about with you and your tax bracket nerds. She's a mom pop shop. It's her sister's the owner and she operates it. And we, and they still do over a million dollars a year because they have to, it's, you can't own a restaurant like that has a store and not make a million dollars a year and stay open Really, because your costs are just too high. Your food, your employees, your electric, you, you know, utilities, it's all just too high. And so, and so she is actually trying real hard to say, well, how am I going to compensate for this? Because she, she's right there in that. I think as a steakhouse, they're probably in the five, six, seven percent profit category. But as soon as that's gone, I mean, she's got no corporate to fall back on. That's mm-hmm. it. That's everything, you know. And and um, anyway, th- to get to the the essence of the question here, yeah, it's you have to be ready to turn over, especially if you're at a mom and pop 
type store. Now there are franchises and they have a relative amount of security. And that's why people tend to work at those instead of mom and pop shops. You know, that that's why you say I would rather be the cashier at McDonald's than a cashier for Javier's, you know, our local Mexican restaurant down the street, because we don't know what's going to go down with Javier's. Right. We really don't when this thing's up, they could just have permanently closed doors. You might as well start looking for new work now. We don't know, but you can bet that if you're a cashier at McDonald's, they will want you back when they open their doors in May, you know? Yeah. I mean, Roscoe's tacos is like a 30 year business here on the South side of Indianapolis and they have three stores. And the guy just said on Facebook, he's like, I probably won't be back. Like they're like, you know, and, and I think his post was maybe a little dramatic, but I think margins for a lot of businesses, even financially, and that's where I have a real problem with people who want the paid time off and forcing using the force of government to force business owners to pay the paid time off because all you're doing is accelerating the closure rate for these businesses. And so you make it even more necessary that they're going to have to borrow money from the federal government's SBA loan program because that's how they're going to st- survive. And so it just we're kind of getting into a point of government spending where it's just it's it's going to it's already untenable. It's going to be out of control after this. I mean, Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi said this past weekend that so. All right. So we talked a little bit about how the market would regulate some of this stuff. I feel like we came to a good conclusion. I feel, Hody, that we kind of, like, I hope people understand that it's not a black and white choice, that there are a lot of shades of gray to this, and that the market will take care of it. There doesn't need to be government in place necessarily to take care of things. We'll talk next about how the government can completely make everything worse. Um, but I don't know. Do you feel like we've come to a good, does everybody feel good? Are we good, Hody? Like, I yeah, I feel, I no, I, wanna, I feel good. I don't want to upset you. Yeah, no, I know. We're cool. I think it's one of those that everybody in this is going to be affected differently. Like you right. said, it affects everybody. And it's e- it's going to be easy to say, well, with, with your solution, you're not thinking about me. Well, with your solution, you're not thinking about me. And the bottom line is, and I think you and I, and I think everybody here would agree with, everybody's going to, we're, we're trying to find a solution where everybody gives about 10% instead of everybody, instead of some people giving right. 95% and some people giving 5%. It's, like it's, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's exactly right. There's going to be pain across the board, but you know, how do you protect lives without the really crazy unintended consequences? Um, what what I think people need to take out of this, and what I would really caution you to talk about, um, uh oh, six point four magnitude earthquake just hit Idaho. Hody had a big earthquake the other day. There's an asteroid <laughs> headed towards Earth. Uranus has gas leaking. There's a locust in, in Africa. Africa. There's a locust right? in There's Africa. Locusts. Yep. So I'm not. I did though. One ray of hope. See a bald eagle out my back window today, and I posted video on my Instagram. I think it was a sign. Uh, so what, what I think, here's how I would message it if I were you, dear libertarian, because you're listening towards the end of this. And what I think we should keep in mind is, A, be compassionate. I think it's easy to kind of lose your compassion. You get so deep into your own side that I'm trying to save lives, and Hody's like, I'm trying to save jobs, and this is real to me, and this is real to you. And, this, and, and there's a lot of tension I think it's very easy to rant against the things that affect you directly. And I think it's very easy to understand the things that affect you directly. That's why a lot of us are very upset about the government shutdown because we, everybody knows a friend like Hody who has gone through the shutdown and they wouldn't be, be shut down. And like, that's part of the perversion of government action is that 
Hody blames, you know, I would, I would still be working had it not, well, maybe, maybe not. You know what I mean? Like they're, the reality is people might not be coming into the restaurant and they might have to close. And as Reinhold said, now they have somebody to blame and fill out the insurance forms with, um, you know, the system doesn't necessarily need new bailouts. The current system has the unemployment insurance that is paid for by you, me and the business owners in general. That's the unemployment insurance that people can file for. Uh, and even that is ill run, obviously. Um, the, the reality is that the system is, we are still a free society, but we have an administrative state that is strangling that freedom. And so this entire exercise has been the best illustration of how effective the private sector can be at solving a problem and how ineffective the government can be at doing the very few things we allow government to do. (laughs) And there's a great article. I'm not going to read these two articles. They're very long, but the first is from the Atlantic called we were warned. It will be in the show notes. And you know, it goes through how American society and how our governments were warned talks about in 2012, when the Rand corporation surveyed international threats arrayed against the United States and concluded that only pandemics posed an existential danger and they were quote unquote capable of destroying America's way of life. In 2015, Ezra Klein of Vox spoke with Bill Gates and his algorithmic model for how a new strain of flu could spread rapidly in today's globalized world and wrote that, quote, a pandemic disease is the most predictable catastrophe in the history of the human race, if only because it has happened to the human race so many, many times before. If there's anything that humanity could be certain that it needed to prepare for to prevent the deaths of a lot of people in little time, it was this. We were warned in 2017, a week before Inauguration Day, when Lisa Monaco, Barack Obama's outgoing Homeland Security Advisor, gathered with Donald Trump's incoming national security officials and conducted an exercise modeled on the administration's experiences with the outbreaks of swine flu, Ebola, and Zika. The simulation explored how the U.S. government should respond to a flu pandemic that halts international travel, upends global supply chains, tanks the stock market, and burdens healthcare systems. All with the vaccine many months from materializing. Quote, the nightmare scenario for us, and frankly to any public health expert that you talk, would talk to, has always been a new strain of flu or respiratory illness because of how much easier it is to spread relative to other pandemic diseases that aren't airborne, Monaco told me. We were warned in 2018 on the 100th anniversary of the flu pandemic of 1918, which killed 50 to 100 million people around the world. My colleague Ed Ed Young served notice that the next plague was coming with influenza, the most dangerous possibility, even as the United States succumbed to forgetfulness and short-sightedness. Luciana Borio, then the director for the medical and biodefense preparedness at the National Security Council, told a symposium that the threat of a pandemic flu is our number one health security concern. Um, the, uh, the next was in 2018 and 2019 when the Johns Hopkins center for health and security gathered public health experts, business leaders, and government officials for simulations of the devastating humanitarian, political, and social and economic consequences of fictional novel coronaviruses that left tens of millions dead around the world. Participants exited the events thinking, quote, Oh my God, we really need to get working on this. Eric Toner, who helped run the exercise, told me two months later, after the second simulation, 
a novel coronavirus, albeit, albeit with what appears to be substantially lower lethality rates, emerged in China. Uh, so this article goes on and on, like 10 more examples of how the, the public health community repeatedly tried to get government officials to understand the severity of a pandemic and how it was really the only thing, despite nuclear war, that could bring down the American economy and change the way of American life forever. Uh, the next article that I would ask you to read, it's a long article, but it's an absolute must read. And it is the lost month, how a failure to test blinded the U S to COVID-19. And, you know, the, the point that I think we ought to be making is that the pandemic was not preventable. Death was not preventable. Sheltering in place may have been preventable. If we had had proliferated testing, testing is the number one key to all of this. And basically they swab your throat. They find out if the disease is in your, in the back of your throat, in this one section, they send it to a lab and they run a panel on it. And then if you match the sequencing of the, of the disease, then you have the disease. So then what you do is you start quarantining the people that have the disease. You go, who did you talk to? Who did you have exposure to? You trace that back. And you find out who else they were exposed to. And then you start testing those people and quarantine the people who test positive. And so then society functions as, as normal and everybody else gets tested, right? And now the, the caveat to this, this is what South Korea has done and Singapore have done effectively. And they have been able to function as an open society. Everybody's going to work. Everybody has to wear a mask. Everybody has to wear gloves and sanitize, and they've done this testing and tracing model. The trade-off is that they monitor you and your location on your phone. And so you basically have an ankle bracelet on your phone, and if you test positive, their government follows you. And so you get to go to work, Hody, at the Golden Corral, but everybody in the society has their phone being tracked. So there's a trade-off to it. So when people talk about South Korea, you have to be aware of that fact, that there is a bit of a techno-prison going on. Um, you know, and then there is the... Because the reality is if you test, 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 you see the disease. And for America to really open up, which we will get to very soon, is for everybody to have the ability to have a test. When I had a sore throat the other day, I can go get a test. It's not putting anybody at risk or there's an an at-home test that has been created that I swab myself and I send to the lab, guess who didn't approve that? It was the FDA that didn't approve that. So if you want to test, you have to go infect a nurse to have your test done. And so the FDA continues to be somewhat of a roadblock in a lot of this. And so Donald Trump's racism accidentally did the right thing for once. And so he shut down the Chinese border, and so travel from China was stopped. And that bought us, according to epidemiological models, a couple weeks. What did we do with that extra two weeks? We didn't do dick. We didn't do jack shit. We didn't do anything. And so uh, the reality is that our, our government officials knew from January 1st on that this was going to be a significant crisis. The president of the United States, who was famous for not reading his intelligence briefings because of the fucking deep state, 
has had this in his briefings that this could be a serious pandemic in the United States and a major security threat since January. You know who didn't read that? The president of the United States, because he thinks it's all bullshit. All right. Congratulations. You get to stay home from work and Hody's not getting a paycheck. Now, the, the people to blame for shelter in place of an entire society, the world's most a profitable economy on the planet, one of the most prosper- prosperous places on earth. Even the poor people here have it good. You should be glad that you were quarantined in America because if you were quarantined in India, then guess what? You aren't eating that day because you have to work to feed yourself every single day. And so when you're quarantined with your 1,700 people in your apartment complex and one of them starts coughing, not only are you not eating, you're not leaving your house, and everybody's about to get coronavirus. So we should all thank our blessings that we have the ability to be sheltered in nice 800-square-foot luxury apartments like this as opposed to being in the third world because when that hits South America and Africa and India, this is going to be absolutely tragic so make sure that you continue to pray for those people but nonetheless the american way of life has been completely interrupted and it is because of the incompetence of your president the health and human services the cdc and the fda and you probably wouldn't have to shelter in place if we had not centralized testing under the cdc they get the genome sequencing from china china lied about a lot of this Delayed a lot of this, but in the end, they, unlike with SARS, handed over the sequencing and allowed a test to be made. Who? The World Health Organization went to a, a German firm. They actually bought, uh, they, they built a test. They gave it to the Americans, and the American CDC said, enough of this Nazi bullshit, we're going to build our own. And so what did they do? They built a test that didn't work. And so then they sent that to all the state labs, and that didn't work there either. And then everybody started freaking out because nothing was working, and here we are. <coughs> so, uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's, it's a dry cough. Hmm. It's so, just a dry cough and a fever, guys. He'll be fine. Everybody relax. You know, yeah. you remember back in the day when... It was just a funny meme when you had the guy who was sweating. Like, there was a great Steve Bannon meme. Why does Steve Bannon look like he's infected with the disease and doesn't want his coworkers to know? That used to be a funny meme, but it's not anymore. So my point is, is that where your liberty is really going to be taken is that when all of this is over, what they're going to do is they're going to say, you know what we need to do? This was a mess. And there were all these different agencies and there were all these different state boards of health and there were all these different county boards of health and there were all these different hospital networks. And boy, wouldn't it be a lot easier if we centralized everything into one network and every, the next time this hits, guys, we've got it under control because the seat, you remember how great the FDA did during that period? Donald Trump said it today. He said the FDA has been amazing. Well, the FDA... If you read this 14 page article from the New York Times is the most egregious of all of the agencies and the the appointed person by Donald Trump was completely incompetent. And the truth is that the duties of the FDA are probably so big that that person 
is not alive on earth that can handle that agency. That sure shit is true for the presidency. There isn't a president on the planet who could actually do the job of the president because there's too much power and they can't do it right. And so Donald Trump picks the director of the CDC. He picks the director of the FDA. He appoints Azar at HHS. And then all three of those people fuck it up and nobody holds them accountable because the president doesn't think that any of this is real until he sees it on Tucker Carlson. And then one of his friends gets it. And then he's like, I better change my tune. This may be real. That was three weeks ago. And so now you're stuck in your house because your president thought it was a hoax and your agencies that you outsourced the responsibility of all this to didn't do a good job because they can't do a good job because bureaucracy doesn't work. And so when all of this is over and they want to centralize everything more, remember that. And that is the argument that libertarians ought to be making. It's not conspiratorial. It's not cruel. It's empathetic. It's the truth. And it's going to protect your liberty in about six to nine months. Because mark my words, play this back later. They're going to come out and they're going to say the FDA, the CDC, Dr. Fauci, the National Institute of Health, and Donald Trump did a great job during that crisis. And we need to do more of that, which means less of Everything that worked. So be ready, people, because that's what's happening. So, Harry, are you ready just to get your health care centralized, nationalized, and completely ineffectized? Oh, yeah, because, you know, when I think of best care is the VA, I'm scared to even look at what the VA is doing with all this. Oh, the VA has been – I've talked to a couple it's people. They're, they, they got – totally unprepared it's on fire basically might as well be on fire and reinhold <laughs> do i even need to get into andrew cuomo hoarding ventilators okay yeah. this motherfucker donald trump <laughs> comes out yesterday and says you know i was uh just shown a chart because Dr. Fauci and, and Dr. Burks had to draw me a chart like I'm eight years old and have the IQ of Forrest Gump, where they basically say, here's two million people dead. Here's 100,000 people dead. Do you want to be the president that killed two million people or 100,000 people? He went, you know, that's a good I think I should probably go with 100,000. Let's skip that whole Easter thing. That's, <laughs> that's problematic for a couple reasons. First, the president had to be drawn a chart. 12 weeks into a crisis. Two, he's so easily easily persuadable that this idiot has a chart drawn for him and goes, that's a good idea. I'm changing the policy that I've been arguing all week. That's your president at work. That's your government. That's the person that you want in charge of your health care if you create socialized medicine. Because there will be Republican presidents. Whatever fantasy you tell yourself about how the Democratic Party is dead, you're wrong. So this idiot walks out on national TV and goes, I've got this, guys. Only 100,000 people are going to die, not 2 million, thanks to me. And I looked up at the television and I go, did I just become Ryan Lindsay and, Den and Reinhold? Because this person is introducing in real time a shift to the Overton window that if 100,000 people die, I did a great job. Okay, you know what that means? That means twice the soldiers in Vietnam died. I don't even know how many more times that is than the 9-11 dead. How many people died in the, in the Civil War? Was it 50,000, 100,000? 
Well, we're already past the nine uh, eleven dead. Oh, we, that, it, we, like, we passed that today. So yeah. then today, some reporter from some conservative site in the newsroom goes, Mr. Trump, do you think that impeachment distracted you and your team from this crisis? And I thought, that's actually an effective argument. Donald Trump should knock this out of the park. And Donald Trump goes, yeah, no, it didn't distract me. I did a great job. I wouldn't do anything different. In fact, I get an A+. There are lots of people saying, I'm getting an A-plus for how I've handled this crisis. So, no, I wouldn't go back. I'm so good at my job that I can go through impeachment and handle this kind of crisis. Well, Mr. President, if you go back and read the uh, actual documentation from 50-cited sources, including many people in your own administration, saying that you, in fact, didn't handle the crisis and you called it a hoax 30 days ago... Oh, he didn't call it a hoax. Okay, every single one of his actions proves that this guy didn't take this seriously until he saw it on Tucker Carlson three weeks ago. You can't prove me wrong because that's a fucking fact. He said on December, on February 28th that the numbers are going down. They're not going up. It's going to be a marae. One day it'll be here, then it'll be gone. Well, when it's gone, it's probably going to be 2022. And it probably wouldn't be as severe, and we probably wouldn't have 100,000 people dead if you had done a better job as president. And so I've never been as critical of Donald Trump as I am right now, and it's because everything that Dennis has said, that Reinhold has said about Donald Trump is fucking true. The person is as, as incompetent. His tweet yesterday about bragging about his ratings is his main concern. Like, I don't know what to tell you, folks. Like, this person's concern is how he looks. He was so impressed with his television numbers that he tweeted out that everybody should watch the press conference. He walks out there and he goes, I did a great job. I'm only going to kill 100,000 Americans. Okay, well, I don't know how many people would have been spared if we had had testing about four weeks earlier than we do, six weeks earlier, realistically, we could have had that done had the FDA and the CDC not completely fucked that up. But it probably wouldn't be 100,000. And you're not absolved of responsibility. And frankly, Azar, the head of the CDC, the head of the FDA, and Donald Trump should be held criminally liable if we can prove that there were more deaths than needed to die because they couldn't get testing right and release that test fast enough. It's time to start putting some of these people on death row for their bad decisions. I'm talking about Barack Obama and, and his drone strikes of American citizens. I'm talking about George Bush and Iraq and the financial crisis. I'm talking about Bill Clinton for throw a dart you'll find something to block that motherfucker up on but at some you point go. you're going to have to start putting some politicians in jail you're going to have to start putting some business people in jail because the reality is when these people think that they can do whatever they want with your money they're gonna keep doing it to you so put some of these motherfuckers in jail because that's when things are going to start changing and if they don't want to put them in jail then let's create a citizen's jail and put them in that and I'm avoiding using the word guillotine. All right. Dark. The, the, the last month is something that you're kind of referencing a little bit. And it's just such a fascinating New York Times article because you find out exactly how bad they knew when they knew it early January. And all the people in charge, I mean, CDC and FDA was like, we got this. We got this. And they, of course, they said we got this behind closed doors. 
you know, mm-hmm. but we're like, we got this, we got this. And so you even kind of see some of the president's incompetence. Of course, he puts these people in charge, but, you know, you see the president's incompetence by being like, they got this. And then they knew their test had, they, their test had failed in February. And then they continued to say, we got this. And they at any of these times could have released it or asked for help or even just say, hey, guys, we're, we're having some trouble. I mean, ultimately, the test got developed by Helen Chu, who was studying flu. I mean, it got studied by a single researcher. Like, like if you had the right person, you could have figured it out. Go ahead. Oh, me keep going. Okay. Like, I I just... I I was making a joke because you said Helen Chu, and I said, God bless you, and then... Oh. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Chris. Uh, But but the thing is, is, like, she she finally broke the law twice, actually, a cease and desist and a don't work on it all order to, to... were to develop the test and that's our first test and now we're like why didn't we do this sooner oh because it wasn't allowed because these people said we got this and then after they knew after they realized it had failed they still said we got this right and it's just what? the president the dumbass people he hired but he knew they were dumbasses like it even says at the at the outset of this this guy was an expert on and and you know what i'm sure an expert but he's an aids researcher right well this is different and you know this is a different disease but instead of getting somebody who was in charge of it, he was like, no, this is my favorite guy, and I'm listening to him and nobody else. Yeah. And he so just – He's loyal to me. And yeah, he's <laughs> – Yup. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, listen, you listen to what, what Trump is saying, and, he, and so you get this great article from the New York Times. It's done a lot of work. They put it together, a wonderful document, right? Uh, how many people do you know that if you tell them to go read that, they're just going to say fake news? Because we have a president who's – got that instilled in people's minds that any bad news is just his enemies trying to take him down, uh, that they just ignore it. Now, if you look at his press conferences, when he gets a question, he'll say, who do you work for? And if they say somebody he doesn't like, he just rolls his eyes and treats them differently than he would if it was somebody he likes. And that's just, it's what's helping create the situation where the facts just can't get out to people because people are rejecting the knowledge. I mean, I got to be honest that if you hadn't held Donald Trump accountable for every bad tweet for the last five years, people would probably be more willing to hold him to account when, I don't know, he killed more Americans due to his incompetence. So this, I have to, I have to blame the media somewhat because they are so obsessed with Donald Trump that when you watch these press conferences, when you watch the Sunday shows, when you watch, Watch the the C, you watch CNN all day. You you that Easter comment of do you think we should open by Easter as the president a big idiot? I mean that was all that was talked about for right. five days. When you open up the press conference to the to the reporters, it's just about how do you think you're an incompetent idiot? That has an effect, and it's just like the impeachment stuff. And it's why that isn't a bad point about the distraction from impeachment, is that maybe if we hadn't, and I know we disagree on impeachment, but the fact is, is that if you hold Donald Trump accountable for every single thing, then when you don't keep your powder dry, you're out of powder with the regular public, and something like this comes along, and people are less willing to listen to you. But the problem is, is what they've been trying to do is say, look, if he's lying about this little stuff, he's going to lie about the big stuff. He's going to violate everybody's rights and violate the Constitution and do all this stuff on things that people are like, well, it's not that big of a deal. He's going to do it on the big stuff. Right. Mm. So what what would have happened if he had gotten uh, impeached? 
in early January, let's say the second week of January, when all this is starting to kind of bubble up in the intelligence reports, then we might have had Pence in there. And Pence doesn't have that mindset of I've got this. No one can. You know, I'm never wrong. I'm perfect on everything. And he might have listened to somebody. Right. We might have had testing out there sooner. So it's it's like. I think the the biggest problem with the with the the media, and I, and I I do see what you're saying about it. They do go on and on and on and on sometimes, but part of that is just I think the incredulity that they have that people aren't seeing what is right in front of them. They're just rejecting it. Yeah, and the cost is, you know, people the the people arguing with me as I have made on my Facebook wall or Twitter the arguments that I have made here tonight. The people arguing with me are Trump-supporting libertarians and conservatives. Regular normies and Democrats, they're all like, yeah, that may, yeah we need to hold the FDA accountable. Yep. Like, they're, they're buying the, the small government stuff. Donald Trump tweeted this out today. With interest rates for the United States being at zero, this is the time for our decades-long-awaited infrastructure bill. It should be very big and bold, $2 trillion, and be focused solely on jobs and rebuilding the once-great infrastructure of our country, phase four. So... Oh dear God! Most libertarian president ever. All you, all you libertarians who have been trying to convince me that this is the most libertarian president ever. He wants to spend another two billion dollars, two trillion dollars, excuse me, for an infrastructure bill because he thinks that he's getting a zero percent interest loan to do that. Now, what does that mean? Is that we're going to borrow from ourselves and a zero percent interest loan? This person. This person is so stupid that he thinks he's going to uh, chase bank to get a 0% interest loan. So why wouldn't we borrow $2 million? There's no interest on it. He has no concept of what he is doing. That's how we have bubbles. The stock market was getting 0% interest for how many years? So they're out borrowing money to put it in the stock market so they can make a bunch of interest and paying back a zero-interest loan. It's free money. Right. It's going to be fine. It's gonna be. It's gonna be fine. We're gonna have tons of kids from this. Okay, we suspended abortions because that's an elective surgery. So we're gonna have hundreds of kids across the country. All right, I said it as a joke, but they actually have stopped a lot of abortions across the country. It's like it's a side tangent, I know, but that is something that is also happening right now. So like the whole kid boom is is a real reality because some people are gonna have kids that don't want them be because they have stopped the board a lot of sorry. Uh, surgical abortions across the country. That's why I saw a bald eagle outside my window. God is happy with us now, and so he's returned favor to the United States. And I am your messenger to tell you all, stop the abortion so we can get more eagles. And I want to say, that eagle was twice the size of a Canadian goose. So, USA! USA! All right, all right. Also, I've seen like three of these dead goose, like just dead on the ground. You're welcome. (laughs) I have kept, is, right? the, I have nothing the, to do but drive bys on goose. The other thing I think when this when the economy actually does get back going again, right? I don't think it's going to jump back and people aren't going to spend money the way people think they are. Right now millennials, right, have had a crash course in the Great Depression. Yeah. They are going to stockpile food. <laughs> they're going to, you know, they're going to do what they can so 
they're going to be paranoid about this. At least the smart ones are. Harry, you know? I will tell but, you that I am, you are much more the ant and I'm much more the grasshopper in this relationship. I will be much more careful about my spending habits. I will be much more careful about stocking up. I'll be much more careful because the specter of not being able to get those things and entering a great depression and not being prepared is something I'm not willing. I started, I turned 18. I think it said this on the show. I turned 18 two days before 9-11 and then the bottom fell out. And then we, me and my cohorts entered the job market in 2008 and then we just are now hitting our peak earning potential. And this is the third crash in my adult earning lifetime. And so I'm going to be much smarter with my money as a result. I will still go to restaurants because that's my only hobby is eating at restaurants. So Hody will be well fed because of fat people like me. You know, I will return to Orange Theory when I can pay for it. I will continue to do the things that I enjoy doing. But will I buy a lot of the extra stuff that I don't need? No. So I, I think, yeah. So in, anything that you want to say, Hody, anything you want to jump in here on, on Trump? No, Trump is the worst. Uh, if you guys are, if, if you're one of those libertarians, like here's the thing. Chris said this once in a show, and I think it rings clear that you want to like Trump because he makes all the right people pissed off, right? You, and we hate these people. And like CNN absolutely does suck. CBS News Apparently they suck too, right? They, they've been doing some sucky things and you want to root for people that make the bad actors and media upset and that make big government people upset. But when he does these things that are also bad, you need to realize he sought political power. This is that same New York Democrat. Like he, he posts stuff today about expanding the infrastructure just liberate yourself. Like just, it is so freeing. I know to me, when I finally left the Republican party, the most liberating thing was to finally be able to be like, no, screw that guy. Screw who was it? Michelle Malkin for saying that we need straight camps, like screw her. And it feels so good to just let go of it. And I think that it's just, I think this is really the time to just let go of Trump and you will be embraced very openly because you just, you get to stop doing the mental gymnastics of trying to forgive him, of trying to ex- explain for him, of trying to see what he sees. You know what? It's okay. You can probably believe like I do. He's probably still better than Hillary Clinton and still be- did better than Hillary Clinton would have done. Right. And that's okay to hold on to that. But at the same time, that's not a good defense for him. I, I think, I think that his, I think she probably would have been more authoritarian in her response. What do you guys think? Being, being better that Hillary Clinton and a, thor- a straight up authoritarian is a low bar that is way too low. Like just, just think, like, let's just, yeah. Far more authoritarian, but she would have reacted sooner and maybe saved some lives doing it. I mean, it was, it I, would I be it's like 50, 50 half, you know, it, it's hard to say, but the problem with Trump is, is the so much of the no, no moral grounding on anything. Right. That he just flits back and forth between whatever he thinks is going to be best for him. So, you know, I, I kind of would rather have someone who's more authoritarian uh, that I know is going to be authoritarian as opposed to Trump, who is just whenever he feels like it, Oh yeah, I'm just going to take over this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to take your guns and I'm going to spend all this money. Let's, let's do all this stuff guys. And then, uh, because it comes out from nowhere, you can't you can't really expect it and plan for it and fight back against it as easily as you could if somebody you know is going to be in there doing that, but who who would probably have reacted 
sooner and quicker and more effectively than what we have now and put people in charge and put people in those offices who had uh, better credentials and not just the, uh, the prime credential that they, they were loyal to you. Yeah. Uh, so final thing that I want to bring to your attention tonight is uh, for all of you people who believe that uh, socialized medicine, as one person bravely keeps saying on my wall, that socialized medicine would have fixed all of this. Uh, and man, you walked in, he walked into the wrong neighborhood and he keeps getting, uh, God bless this kid. I don't, I don't know his name, but he's got some balls. I appreciate his spunk. He keeps getting fucked up left and right from me and other people. And he just keeps coming back. Uh, but the reality is that in Spain and in some reports, France, uh, the socialized medical, the socialized medical system, in Spain is so overrun and so limited in resources that they have just stopped answering the phone calls from nursing homes. I'm not making that up. There is a New York Times article that I will put in. It is called A Deluge System Leaves Some Elderly to Die, Rocking Spain's Self-Image. Even amid the corona crisis, the tragedy unfolding in Spain's nursing homes has shocked a nation that takes pride in its reverence for older people and in its healthcare system. And it's a several thousand words long about how nursing home directors just can't get their phone calls answered. They have one mask at all and there is massive death taking place in france and spain's nursing home so if you think that a socialized medical system is somehow more compassionate and empathetic there you go when it finally hits the fan they're not able to take care of people yeah this country doesn't do a great job but if you're 85 years old i guarantee you that the nurses that you walk in to see at the er are going to take great care of you and uh, it is expensive, and we do have problems. There is no doubt about that. But everybody here does their best to take care of everybody. Over there, where you have socialized medicine, they can just not answer the phone, and everybody looks the other way, and nobody's held accountable because it's run by a bureaucracy. Here, you're going to be hauled in front of a court because it's a private system. You don't have the choice to just let people die. Unless the government is in charge of it. It's an ugly thing that every single person needs to look at. So as we start the Medicare for All discussion seriously after this, don't forget these things. Don't forget the ways that bureaucracy kills people. Public policy has a human toll. It is not more compassionate. It is more deadly. It is more cold and heartless than any private system. And it is evidenced by the fact that your administration has not functioned correctly because no administration could function correctly and private industry is doing their best to save everybody's ass they're hiring extra people cvs amazon all of these companies are going out of their way to hire extra people to make sure that people can stay afloat all of that's done privately what do you get from the government to help you along twelve hundred dollars and if you don't have your bank account hooked up you'll get your check in four months That's the best the government can do for you. They cannot come to your rescue. They cannot help you and they will not save you if you're sick. You don't, they don't even have the, the legal ability. They can, if you call 911 right now and say, I'm being raped and murdered, they can hang up the phone and not respond. 
and the Supreme Court says it's fine, it's okay, they can't do anything for you. Stop relying on any level of government for any of your individual needs, your savings, or your retirement, your health. They can't do shit for you, and they won't. There's a fantastic breakdown that showed that 50% of people in socialized countries have private medicine insurance. Say that again? Uh, like over 50% of people that live in a country that has socialized medicine have private insurance so that they can actually get treated, not treated by the government wow. because they will private doctors. Yeah. Yep. I mean, the, the question you have to ask, do you want uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden you know, or Bernie Sanders, do you want them being the ones to decide whether or not you go to the doctor and uh, how, what kind of treatment you get? Because that's what that is when they talk about Medicare for all and socialized medicine is those people being in charge of those decisions instead of you and your doctor making that decision yourselves. The governors of Nevada and Michigan had a political beef with Donald Trump, and so they banned hydroxychloroquine in their states because they got convinced by some old-school doctors that there wasn't a really a, a good test for it, that it wasn't all that effective, which it, it's, it's somewhat effective. But it may not be the miracle drug everybody thinks it is. And so these old school doctors who think that you have to have a blind study for everything, it's like, well, I don't need to be in the middle of a hurricane to know that it's going to rain. Uh, let's do let's try it. And, and so if you have a terminal patient, something called right to try, that's probably going to get passed as a result of this that says if you're terminal, you have a right to try whatever treatment you'd like. And so that may come about as a result. But the governor of Michigan and Nevada and now Indiana are all saying, mm, I may ban this because they got bamboozled by some doctors who are well-connected in their state. And so that instead of your doctor being able to make an informed decision with the patient, you, who's in a critical ICU bed situation, a governor is making the decision based on politically connected interest and some bad information from salon.com. So that is the reality of you can organize society in two ways. You can do it through the political sphere and you can do it through the economic economy, economic. You can do it through markets where you can do it through politics. Politics is all about who you know, and it's about some idiot who is the most well-connected person in their circle got elected in politics, and they have control and centralized power. When you run things through markets, there's a thousand different ways that things can take place and a ton of different options, and it's way more expensive to buy everybody off in that way. So your, your health is best, to, is best done at the local level, not at the state or federal level. All right, let's start wrapping up. Final thoughts. Let's go with, uh, let's go with Harry. Oh, yeah. All right. A um, couple of things. Uh, a lot of the businesses are also unfortunately finding out that a lot of the insurance they thought they paid it for years um, doesn't really work. Uh, Lewis Rossman, um, uh, Lewis Rossman repairs. He does the, all the cool Apple repairs. If you're not, if you're an Apple loser and uh, you don't watch Lewis Rossman videos, go ahead and watch it. You may not like apples after much when you find out this man here in his New York shop, maybe the only chance you ever get any of your information off this one guy. Well, his shop, he, he trains people, but good luck. It'll help you and it shows you why apples suck. Um, but he did a great video on how these forbearance insurance that you're going to try to fill out for. We'll find out that you're not going to do it because uh, the COVID 
yeah, it's not an act of God. So you don't have insurance for that. You're not covered. So good luck with that. Uh, the, the bringer, I know it's sad. I'm laughing bringer, at it because it's Bringer of Gallo good Peter. news, yeah. Huh? Bringer of good news, Harry Price. Mm, yeah, I'm sorry. It's I. I... Right, did I lose you? Oh, Harry I think dropped. We lost Harry. All right, Reinhold. Final thoughts. <laughs> okay. He's self um, What I wanted to bring up was that one thing that's that's happening from the shutdown, as it were, and the and it's, and it's people staying at home, is that we're seeing a decades long promise of uh, a a uh, society that's kind of more virtualized actually taking place. So people have suddenly now had to do all these things that they've been putting off and giving workers the ability to work from home. We got innovations are happening uh, that have been in the works for years, but just didn't have anything to kick it off and make it happen. So uh, restaurants are doing a lot more, um, servicing takeout uh, that you know, there's, there's all these things that are happening and there are some benefits that they're going to come from that is that we are going to have fewer people like on the roads and driving cars and less demand for gas. The bad part is, is that um, a lot of our economy is built on those people when they have to go to work and then drive back home, they're stopping off on the way to get this or that or things they don't necessarily need, but oh, let's go ahead and pick this up or let's go grab something to eat instead of eating at home. And, um, so we're going to see a change in society, I think, when these things are now available and people say, why? Well, I was able to do my job just fine at home. Why do I need to come in now? I can save myself an hour commute or a half hour commute every day uh, one way. And and I, I just think you're going to see a change in society from this, not just from the people starting to prepare for something like this happening again, but also just in the technology being adopted and, and things happening. We're, we're going to start seeing calls for doing voting through mail more and or, or online or something like that. Things like that are going to happen now. And a lot of it's getting spurred because of this. We are a highly adaptable species and we will do whatever we can to optimize and to make ourselves prosperous and grow in resources. So do not worry about like that. That's why I, I really, I, I am empathetic and understanding of Hody's situation. For instance, I, I have lost, you know, not, nearly the percentage of my income that Hody has. But I mean, I've felt the financial pinch here and the reality is that's probably going to come back for me, for Hody, for everybody, because the, the reality is you can't, you can't come back from dying <laughs> like this. And so if you can keep, uh, if you can keep the death count at 15,000 in America, as opposed to a hundred thousand or 2 million, they, you know, it's, it's better for the economy in the long run because you've got that many more people being productive um, so, but it, the, it may look a little different too. The, the point it is, it may not be exactly like it was. Yeah. As far as the, you may, may not find that your specific job is there anymore, but this other job is now available that might even be better for you. To your point, I saw a commercial for O'Charlie's, and O'Charlie's had a meal kit and they had a home delivery of a family dining thing. And I'm sitting here going, okay, O'Charlie's is down the street for me. I don't go into O'Charlie's. Their food's fine, um, but I don't typically try to go to chain restaurants unless it's Hooters, you know. And so I'm going, all right, they have created a new revenue stream. Do you think that they're going to stop delivering food? I think restaurants like Hody's and other restaurants, they're going to start doing their own delivery. So now all of a sudden, instead of relying on Grubhub, and O'Charlie's is going to go, we've got our own kitchen. We can do meal kits and meal prep for families and deliver it within this square radius. It's a, there's a company called Cluster Truck, 
Uh, I produce a podcast called Leaders and Legends, and we just did an interview. It's absolutely one of the, it's a guy named Chris Baggett, and he started, he's basically the guy who invented email targeting, and he's now reinventing food delivery in this service called Cluster Truck. It's an unbelievably mind-opening interview with this guy. Harry, you'd love it. It's very technically advanced. Um, and so... What they have realized is, like, you've got to start a kitchen. So they just contracted with Kroger. And so what they do is they cook fresh food and then deliver it from their kitchen instead of doing it from Grubhub, which is always cold or not as good. It's not as fresh. They do farm-to-table meals from Kroger kitchens. And so now Charlie's O'Charlie's and, you know, Texas Roadhouse and Stacked Pickle and all these different, all these different locations are going to get into delivery. And so, why do you order pizza? Why do we eat so much pizza? It's delicious, but like you also eat Chinese. Like Chinese food sucks, but you eat it because it's Sunday night or Saturday night. You you want to relax a little bit. You don't want to cook. You don't want to go out. So you get food delivered, you know. And so, O'Charlie's can cut down on the delivery fees, cut out that middleman of Grubhub, and start doing delivery. I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for revenue from from this. People are adapting. You know, one conversation with a company about how do we how do we reach our customers better, and they're so they're doing Zoom calls. Zoom is now valued at the same level as like Ford or something ridiculous. This week, it's like a crazy valuation because now all of the sudden, who are using this? see the valuable tool that we have seen Zoom as for the last two to three years. You know, I just said to the guys, like, Reinhold, why are you driving 45 minutes out here? I appreciate it. But, like, let's just do it on Zoom. Harry, you can stay home. Like, it becomes much less of a burden on everybody. It's, you know, it's, and the quality of the show isn't that much different. So I I think there's going to be a ton of opportunities that come out of this. It's just being patient. We're not good at being patient. We're not good at not having control. We're not good at uncertainty. We really want certainty, and we want to know what's going to happen when. And I think, you know, if if I were in the presidency, I would be much more forthcoming. And I think like a Barack Obama or George Bush would be going, here's the models. Here's how it works. <clears throat> I'd turn into Ross Perot with my charts, and I'd educate people, and I would go, here's what's going to happen Here's when we can get back to normal. You just got to hang on this long. And I think people would feel a lot better than having a president who goes, I just saw this fascinating chart and figured this thing out three minutes ago that I should have understood 12 weeks ago. It's great. Aren't I doing awesome? <clears throat> like, you know, that, and that's the price of leadership. The uncertainty, the volatility in markets, that is because Donald Trump isn't a leader. He doesn't know what he's doing. So, all right, Hody, final thoughts. All right. I got three points and I'll make them real quick. One is if you're ever in a bad mood again, you should absolutely hop on the podcast because this is my first time knowing that the podcast was better than you're in a bad mood. But there was like three <laughs> moments where I was like, hallelujah and amen. Harry told you. Uh, for real, for real. This was this was uh, probably the best one I've even been a par- part of. I, I got to remember that you're a 
to put you in a bad mood more often, I'll try to think of some things. You no, you don't um, have the ability. Yeah. <laughs> Disagreements with the nap or something. I'll try to be more ornery. I don't know. But either way, it was really good. Uh, second point, especially if you're uh, to that closing point on socialized medicine, if you think it's great, I just got a story about my neighbor that I've shared, I think, once before, but it's just real important, and I'm going to make it real quick. Um, my neighbor has chronic migraines, uh, headaches, got an experimental procedure that the government allowed her to get. Um, put something in her skull that combats it, just requires a battery. She'd had to take no medicine or anything like that, was 100% effective. And what happened is the opioid people bought, spent X amount of money, got that technology illegalized. And here's what they did. Not only did they say that technology will be illegal going forward, they banned the type of battery that her machine requires to keep her brain from having those migraines. That is socialized medicine. Nobody on this planet exists without incentive. That's important to remember, even from an economic or a medical standpoint. And so it's illegal for her to buy the batteries. Just a couple weeks ago, I had had enough. I had shared this story so many times. I hadn't even thought about it before. She was scared to break the law, but I was not. And I bought those batteries for her. I found them and I bought them for her. And the look in her eyes was unlike anything else. And ultimately what happens is when you root for socialized medicine, you are also rooting for things like this to happen because it's not a side effect. You can even watch a British TV show about cos- uh, cosmetics and see what the government won't allow them to do in the UK. The thing is in the United States, we are heavily socialized in medicine. We're not fully socialized. Think for a second of if the problems that we're experiencing that are our imperfections are putting us more towards that socialized hellhole that we see or more towards that free market. Oh, you know, that's going to be a lot better that we see. I am very compassionate to people that have had to spend a lot of money on opioids. My, my gal has, um, has, a. uh, a very serious back problem. I don't know how much she wants me to share, but a very serious back problem. And it requires her to, I mean, she has to have painkillers. If she doesn't, she actually convulses on the floor and go, she's had seizures before. And we get to find out every month at the end of every month, if she'll have that medicine available or not on one day. And there we have had in the time we've been dating, we've had three different times where the, an email got lost somewhere or a doctor wasn't available or the, the pharmacist on duty wasn't there to sign off on it or something. And I got to watch her in unbearable agony, unable to sleep for an entire day. And we, at that point, we've had to seek out alternatives. That's what socialized medicine looks like. That's here in the United States. That's something that's extremely socialized because we allow only certain companies to produce only certain medicines and we allow only certain people to receive them only if they have certain permissions. It is terrible. And the cost of effect of people that you probably know in your real life. I know my neighbor. I date my gal. Those are probably the only two people I know, but I, I know of for sure. But you probably know of at least a hundred people that are going through this. And if you talk with people, especially if I've learned online on Facebook, you're going to find more and more stories about how social socialized medicine is murderous and barbaric. And it is, it is the opposite of incentivized to help people. Uh, third and final point is to be the first one to be compassionate. I'm going to give you a little tool that I learned from uh, when I was learning to communicate with women a lot better. And this is to reiterate what they are saying better than the way that they even said it. Try to make their point better than than the way that they phrased it. And we're going to have a lot of arguments. I'm sure everyone's having arguments about COVID. Um, 
about about this virus and 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 we we kind of fleshed it out today and I thought it was a great debate and and all aspects worth talking about but you can see how both me and Chris at various times felt like we didn't understand the other's position and it's because we aren't we weren't able to effectively phrase the other person's position as well as they were had I been able to say Chris's point of view as well as he was we would have never had the miscommunication had he been able to phrase it as well as I was no miscommunication, but that's why these come up. And I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about it and, and, and everything. But look on your friends, friends list, when you're talking with people, forget friends list for your family, when you're at church, when you're talking with people, they're going to say, well, I'm really worried about my son. He works at a restaurant right now. Instead of being like, what did you send a murderer? You know, <laughs> like show some compassion. Even if you think your son, his, their son should be home right now. That's a totally fair and logical point. The issue is that not that it's not logical. It's just they feel unheard. They feel discouraged. They feel like nobody cares about them right now. I know that's the way that I feel when I debate somebody that doesn't get it. They don't understand. I am in a uniquely good situation because I had food storage. I have people that I work with that are in absolute hell right now, and they don't know what they're going to do. And these are my friends. These are my coworkers. These are people who I love and care about. And you need to be able to phrase why they should stay at home better or why they should, shouldn't be able to work in a compassionate way. So make sure that you're able to phrase, hey, look, I get what you're concerned about. Let me try to phrase it to make sure that, that I have a good gris, grap, grasp on it. It's something that's kind of covered in almost any communication textbook or, you know, when you read about communication, being able to phrase the other person's position better than them. It's just something that I would really encourage right now to say, hey, before we progress further in the conversation, let me make sure I have this right. Are you concerned that you're not going to be able to pay your bills and your mortgage and this is what's going to happen? Anyhow, that's a, a long three final points, but that's what they are. Yeah, I think that it also goes for stupid people because <clears throat> like I had to really sit there like I don't suffer fools well. But and so I'm just kind of like, all right, why does this person not get it? Well, that's how I realized people don't understand what they can't touch or see or sense. Right. Like they don't get the reality that they need senses. I'm trying to pretend that I haven't played a prank on Harry. Uh, (laughs) So I I just realized I was uh, before the show that I could do uh, scrolling banners. So I've been waiting for the right moment to uh, put a news ticker at the bottom that says Harry loves Apple computers. So, (laughs) Um, So the reality is I don't suffer fools well, but I have to remember that the person that I'm talking to that, isn't getting it on day five of having the same conversation with this person. Like I finally just had to block skip. I just said, Chris skip. We just can't be friends anymore (laughs) because, (laughs) because the reality is like, I'm never going to change their mind. They're never going to change my mind. We're on like day seven. Let's part as friends. But I have to remember that this person hasn't been affected by this in any kind of serious way yet. And so I have to be compassionate and understand that they just don't see it the way that I see it yet. And if somebody had been making the points to me two months ago, I would have been laughing at them too. You know, so it's, it's, it is, you just have to try and understand where the other person is coming from. And, uh, yeah. So, all right. Good show, everybody. Great to see everybody. Thanks so much to everyone for joining, for Reinhold, for Hody, for Harry, uh, everybody joining in, listening. If you've made it this far, you're a true fan of this show. If you enjoy this show, we really need you to share the show. 
we, Hody, myself, Reinhold, everybody's been working really hard the last couple weeks to try and bring a lot of good information that is responsible information. Like the worst thing in the world is one of us saying something on this show, on our Facebook or anywhere that gets somebody hurt. You know what I mean? And so we, we've been uh, working overtime to make sure that we're being respectful of people, yet we're still bringing you humor and memes and content and trying to help you figure this stuff out. We've been, if if you're not a Patreon member and you want to thank us for that effort, but even if you are a Patreon member, if you just want to thank us for that effort, extra effort, please go share the show. Please go share this podcast and say, listen to these guys. Give a testimonial as to why you like this show, why you think it's interesting, why you think it's good. That really helps us. You have no idea what a big difference it makes when you share this stuff on your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram. You share our YouTube channel. You share our podcast feed. You know We've got a special tag for COVID-19 podcast if you want to share the series of shows that we've done. Uh, that stuff really helps a lot. You have no idea how much because... As a small independent podcast, that's how we grow. We grow because people like yourself go, I'm getting something out of this show. You're going to get something out of the show. <clears throat> it's not that same old left-right BS. It's different. It's, it's got a different feel. You might, you might like it. Please check it out. So, um, you know, we're, we're independent and we're doing something different and we're doing something different than even other people in our own space, and that just demands that you, that you help Raise, build an echo chamber is what I'm saying. Tell people that you love the show. Uh, so thank you so much to everybody for joining us. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our co-hosts. Want to give a shout out to Ryan Lindsay and everybody at the Heretic, our magazine at Heretic, the magazine. Uh, you go to our website, wearelibertarians.com. You'll find a link to it. You can buy the first three episodes or the first three issues. And uh, Ryan's done a great series on getting through COVID-19 together and some great articles there. Just go to wearelibertarians.com. Check out the past few episodes. Check out uh, the new reaction videos that Hody is doing. They're really, really fun and interesting. Uh, we've, we've put a couple of those in the feed. They're all up for Patreon members now. Um, and so lots going on and it is all because you continue to tune in and we thank you so much for it. So you want to explain what the reaction videos are really quick, like 10 seconds, Hody? Yeah, sure. It's just like a 30 to 45 minute video where you take like a clip of the news that most people are talking about or something, you know, a politician says something or, or, uh, releases a document and, and it usually only takes us. Yeah. Like the actual clip is only four to five minutes long, but we will, talk about it in a hilarious way. It's mostly comedy uh, in like for 30 to 45 minutes, just talking about uh, how stupid, usually it's something stupid. Uh, I do plan on us introducing some things that are positive, but usually just something totally brain neutral or totally dead. And instead of trying to be kind of non-biased and balanced in the way we present it, sometimes it, you just need to rip on politicians. And it's just a moment. It, it's just a time when all the wall crew rips on politicians and uh you can meet uh we've had keaton and remzo in those and they are hilarious and they're definitely up for uh, uh up for the comedy so it's just it's uh, if you're in the mood for some guys having some fun and some laughter it's a good one uh i, I just learned this cool trick here and this we can check out wicked can yay cranky spandle yeah uh, thank you jay what's so rbf nice stand for by the way resting bitch face I don't know who has worse resting bitch face. I do. I kind of, yeah, like Waldo from Statler. Uh, yeah, they're really fun. A good escape right now. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. We really appreciate it, and we will talk to you next week. We are no longer doing the daily shows. 
Uh, we will throw some of this, the shows, uh, you know, we will have probably more shows. Hody's going to be doing extra episodes. We'll throw those into the feed. We'll do some of the reaction shows and some of that stuff. When we feel like we've got something extra to say, we'll put something in there. But I think at this point, there's no reason to do a daily update on what's going on and talk through this. I think two weeks was enough. Uh, so <clears throat> we will not be uh, totally clogging up your feed, but we'll, we'll, we're going to probably talk to you a little bit more than once a week uh, moving forward. So. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. We appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week.